Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 4th of October 2020. I'm sure you all are a bit concerned, if you might, I suppose concerned is rather a rather weak word for all, isn't it? But I suppose everyone's getting the feeling of something again coming, something wicked and all that coming our way, because we're managed so well, aren't we? We're managed like children. And for me, it's, it's just repetition, in a, in a sense, because I gave talks many, many years ago about how we're living through scripts, basically, and how we're managed through the scripts without even being aware there are scripts, or how we get coming into new ways of doing things or accepting things socially, legally, in a whole bunch of different ways, in fact. And we're guided to having conclusions that are already preordained, basically, by those who rule us. And we are ruled. Bernays talked about it long before Bernays, too. You had, you had um, Benjamin Disraeli in Britain, who was a bit more open in his lucid moments, or sober moments, maybe, uh, about the way things really ran. And, and we are managed very, very carefully. But overwhelmingly now, with, with mass media techniques and television and entertainment all combined, working together at the at the, the EU meeting they had, and I've, I put up the links before that where they're all for vaccination. You know, it's about vaccination, and they had the big players in it as well. They said that that they'd they'd put a lot of money into entertainment to embed. The suggestions, as I like to say it, about the coming vaccinations, etc., and how they would uh, prepare people's minds in such a way that they don't know, even know what's happening to them. They, they, they really do believe they're coming to their own conclusions, bits and bytes of information repeated for ages until it becomes their thoughts, you see. And that's how you perceive it. Oh, it's my thought, so I came to that conclusion myself. I used to talk about the politicians and how I never listened much to, to politicians because they, 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 they go by rote when election time is just a, a, a sequence of topics which all parties will go through the same topics and uh, promise it to the, to the, the, the peasants, you see. The cattle, as they call them, all kinds of nasty ways of talking about the people. But uh, it's it is the way it is. Uh, they, they they talk about you know education, uh, employment, and so on, and uh, unemployment as well, unemployment money and benefits, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. childcare, all these kind of things, all the socialistic programs that were introduced into a form of socialism, which have then trained the public. This is quite normal, as they make you utterly dependent on government. And government, remember, is your biggest problem because the reason you are so poor is because they tax you into the ground to pay for the programs, but also to fill their own uh, personal buckets, their take-home buckets, you know, using your cash. Because those who serve the big system live much, much better than the general population that pays all. But that's how it really is. We're, we're, we're managed by tyrants. Of course there's tyrants. They're benevolent tyrants. They always smile at you. You know, Most old tyrants used to just show their teeth on a nasty, a nasty grimace. But our ones, they're, they, they smile at you because they're good psychopaths, you see. Not very bright, some of them, but, but uh, they're all on board together. And they're very resolute. I mentioned this word in a talk with um, 
Neil Foster, how the army has it, you know, if you ever, uh, soldiers will know this, we're going into battle, you're, there's a stage you get to where you're resolute. And for first timers, and it doesn't matter how many times they've been in battle before, it's all or nothing, and they all know it. Suddenly it really strikes home to them, this is real, you know. It isn't little boys playing in the woods with, with toy guns, it's, it's all real now. And and some of them won't come out of this alive. You know, others ones will be made. So they're resolute, though, in their in their obedience because you're trained to obey orders, and that's what they do. And if if there's a weak link in the chain, then if you let let go down, basically, or just freeze, someone else might suffer next year. And you know, so so everyone's resolute and doing what they're supposed to do. And those who who use the police forces. All the politicians behind the police forces are all in cahoots together, as you know. Uh, why bother having so many politicians when they all repeat the same phrases, you know? The coming lockdowns is necessary and vaccinations necessary, etc., etc. And they just parrot. Why not just have one person parroting it? Then you know what's pointing? There's a tyrant, you see. But they give you this appearance of having choices, huh? and different voices saying the same thing. Well, maybe they're a bit different. It's not quite the same as that one over there. But they are, in, in reality, they're, they're bought and paid for. They all belong to the, the same clubs. We can say clubs or lodges, <laughs> depending on the game difference really, does it? Because they're sworn to organizations which selected them before the public select them, or think that they select them. And I used to say years ago, the only way to stop it all, at least that part of it, would be to at least demand and have, uh, and everything's so corrupt, I don't think you could even do it. But you would need independent groups that were really honest, which would be impossible in this day and age, I think, to check on those running for politics to, and to find out what, where they've given allegiance to already, what organizations like the CFR, for instance, or the Trilateral Commission, and cause, because they actually put their own members into politics occasionally too, CFR more so. And even if they're not elected, you'll find a, a big, big chunk of your your civil service, uh, the higher members of them in different departments, they're members of the CFR as well, strategically placed. And that's a lot of people, especially when you take what used to be a British Empire system, or to Australia and New Zealand, any country that still has a solicitor general assigned by the Crown, and Canada's still got one yet, and so there's the rest of them, then you're really under the same system, this strange democracy, but at the very top you've got a monarchy, you see, who has to okay everything and introduce a lot of things themselves at the top and deny a lot of things that, that come from those that you think are elected. So you're living in a fantasy, really, and what you've got too is what you think is... Um, Stable society, you know, semi-stable societies at times, which again is a very thin veneer, because really society is very turbulent, and if you could see the turbulence, if you if you just got back from a nice sunny day and all that, and the smiling folk eating ice cream in the old days, you know, before you had the open tyranny, and but underneath it all, it wouldn't take much to spark off trouble between different different peoples religions, ethnic groups, political groups, ideological groups, you know, from communism, Marxism, socialism, all the brands are the same thing, really, you know. It's like cigarettes that are tipped and unfiltered and plain, uh, all versus each other. 
So it doesn't take much to, to really spark it off. And I've always said this, everything will work, even in the massive, uh, open, open, this open society. You have heard the term so many times, the trilaterals use it all the time, because their job is to bring in a borderless world, eventually, but dominate it. Their, their own members would dominate it uh, more openly. Trilaterals themselves are real technocrats. They're part of the big technocracy where they would get things done without being elected, you see. And they all came out in force with Jimmy Carter many years ago. He had more trilaterals than ever, but that's really when they came out. And they're really associated. They've all been members of the CFR, and then they're selected for their higher purposes. Because you're run by, you don't think you're run by your governments. (laughs) I really don't think that at all. Even before World War II, they had these organizations, different names for them all running the system, even though British Empire. And because they didn't trust uh, politics or politicians, you know, or, or the people for that matter. And so they made sure they've always had, there's always a deep state there, of course there is. And the problem in the US is, is they're completely overtaken by what used to be radical, the radical revolutionary groups. And some of them are foreign in, in a sense, you know. That really run everything and turn everything upside down. So your official organizations in the state, even the FBI, is beyond compromised by the very people that the, the FBI was there to, to investigate. <laughs> they run by them. No. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting to see who advises the, 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 the FBI. Uh, it truly is you know, in this day and age. So I won't go into it in too much detail because it's boring, really. Uh, but the, the, yeah, yeah, things are rather out in the open today as to who even Antifa is, and their, even their own <laughs> parent organisations are out boasting about it, of of who who started it up and who still runs it today. But yeah, you're living in a make believe system where you think that your your, your country is still a John Wayne type system. You know? Again, Hollywood gave you. In America and the world, the Western world to an extent during the Cold War, but they gave you, uh, sometimes, not all the time, they gave you both sides of it. Before World War II and during World War II, Hollywood was churning out communist movies for those who didn't know, because suddenly you were supposed to be pallied with, with Uncle Joe Stalin. And the big bad bear was a happy guy now, it was a jolly bear, you know. And eventually they turned it back again. But during the, the war years, they had the propaganda movies out there uh, with with the tractors, the usual stuff, you know, the con game uh, of of people, you know, working happily on the farms for the good of all, etc. You know. Uh, well, I won't go too far into it because it it wasn't all in, in the Soviet Union. But anyway, they, they churned these things out and got away with it, and, and they could get away with all the bad capitalists and so on. It's so comical, really, because it's a joke, because the top capitalists were the, the ones who fund the communism. still are, fund the communism. Because communism is a front to be, for a domination of the planet by another group, you see. That, that's courses. That courses. There's never been a time where, where people have brought in a system, financed it all, planned it all, like revolution, uh, and then given it to you, and then walked away and left it to you to manage. It's never happened. It's a joke. It's never happened. It never will happen. 
those who finance it have always had the, the idea of dominating the planet themselves, and it's much, much deeper than that too. Some some claim it's, it's religious to an extent, without you, but different from the religions that you think of. Remember, religions can also simply mean belief systems. Uh, some people, Marxism is a religion. You need a lot of faith to believe in it that, that it would work. And communism too, because it's always making promises to make the human condition itself content, which cannot happen in, in society, in the human being, in everybody. For those who can remember, even those who are going through it right now too, when you're teenagers and then into your 20s, maybe even into your 30s, you definitely... Um, are going through ups and downs like crazy through life. You're, most most people are not completely stable in that respect because you're experiencing lots of different, uh, they call it the milestones and psychodynamics that you'll go through, which is simple observation by behavior. And it's very true what they tell you about different ages and different things that you'll do, uh, what you'll think, what you, the drives will kick in, even hormonal drives and so on. And what that makes you, it does to you, and what it all does. But so, but the thing is, um, you got experts way above that can manage it all. You see, for their own benefits, and that's why they always pick the young for for rebelling. And don't think when you look at the the ones who are rebelling today, it's just spontaneous. They're they're getting pumped up to do it by social media, where the leaders, of course, of all are trained, they're actually trained revolutionaries and financed, very well financed and well paid. They don't retire with pensions too. So you're living in a, a kind of make-believe world all the time, much like getting back to World War II and after World War II when they were churning out propaganda movies. They, they gave you an idea of, of a wonderful, clean society, very clean, you know, and that's what really got people in Europe and across the world looking at the movies. They said, goodness sakes, see, the people in America have big cars. Most folk in Britain didn't have cars, you see. It was even astonishing to see them all have, in, the, in the movies, it didn't matter who they were, having phones. This, this is the impression they gave you. And, like, they've all got phones. It was so expensive in Britain to have a phone, you know, a personal phone. Doctors would have phones. People were important, you see, in society, in the community, but most folk didn't have the phones because they were expensive. And just making local calls was expensive, never making long-distance calls. So they didn't so much have cars, and they didn't have uh, phones, most folk. That's why you see these British phone boxes all over the place in the movies. They, they, they existed right up into the 1970s, 80s. Aside dwindling with the cell phones in the nineties, but they were all over the place in, in Britain and in Europe too. But people would see these movies from Hollywood and think, "My goodness, these people are so rich. even the working class is rich." Look, that's how it seemed to be, you see. But it was all make believe, and it was propaganda, and and it was put out not just for people abroad, but also people in America too, to give them the impression, that even if they're in the bottom rungs of society financially. That were, that were part of something bigger and better and clean and decent. It kind of gave that optimistic feeling. And at that time, too, there was more optimism because there was a lot of work. The war brought in a lot of industry, an awful lot of industry. 
mainly for the for the war effort, you see. Uh, unlimited financing. That's why the, the elite love crisis, you see, whether it's pandemics or wars of other kinds, when there's just more oh, billions of tax money getting tossed all over the place into pockets, then they can also use some of it, you know, even though it's supposed to all go towards making factories or whatever happens, or vaccines, makes all the same kind of stuff. It's very Orwellian, you know. How many tanks have we turned out today? We've, we've got 2,000 more tanks than, than, than we, we, we thought we'd get this week, and we've broken our quota, and they'd all do a big hooray, etc. And that now it's going to be how many vaccinations you can give out, how many, many, many tests you can do for COVID. Same, same techniques being used. But again, in America, that was the impression that they gave generations. And uh, there were people whose mums, they thought it was, especially women, they thought it was all real. They, they'd come home and, and, and they'd look at their husbands and... And husbands are often had, you know, they were minors, for instance, or they worked in factories and things like that when there was factories to work in. And, and, but none of them were, were, were dressed in the suits and tied, they were in class, you see. And um, they didn't have cars, they didn't take their wives out to ballroom dancing like Fred Astaire would do. And, uh, and so the women were bored stiff, and they all thought they should have that kind of life, like flappers in a sense, and have a great time with these very wealthy people. They were all, all on celluloid. It was all movies. It was all fiction. But it helped dis- disrupt society to an extent because uh, people who are not happy with, with reality will try and uh, act it out in other ways. A lot of them did. And, and of course, Marge started to break up in, uh, in probably in the 60s and definitely in the 70s. It was, it was pretty getting more common, especially with the younger people. So folk have no idea that you're living through fiction most of the time. And you, you follow the fiction, including the reactions to what you're supposed to do as they're destroying society and destroying marriage. You'll actually, oh, we just got divorced and you can't work through this. And of course you had massive promiscuity with the pills, I say, throughout Europe and so on. And even then, uh, you had a lot of fallout from unwanted pregnancies, as I like to call it now. And the, but the state stepped in immediately in this socialist system and took care of that, of course. Until we're at the mercy of the state in so many ways, right down to, should, should be just like, you know, you find that the founders, some of the founders of the Fabian Society, you know, for world socialism, some of the founders, like George Bernard Shaw, saying that, that you'll come to us. He says, you think we're going to give the working man a good life and and no, he says, you're not going to have a wife to come home. We want her out there working as well. And so this, is what, this is what they're telling you, what socialism really means. It's not, most people, they, they get people to rile up and follow them initially just for, for having a decent working wage and, and more guarantee of having the work as opposed to being laid off every other week sort of thing, or month. But no, they have other ideas what it's all about. They want to double the tax base, destroy marriage altogether. And, and then rule over you. And here we are today. And he said, that you'll come to us and we, we'll decide. What you, you, know, you, have to, you have to tell us why we should keep you alive. You know? It's really quite fascinating. In, this, in the 80s and the 90s up to the present, the same technique was used when they brought out, oh my goodness, you know, people are going to get laid off before they're 40 now. And, and, and they were talking about in, in, in CEO jobs, so, or upper management jobs. 
And uh, you'll never have a lifelong job for the rest of your life ever again. So that's a thing in the past and so on. But they'd actually put forms out. That it was all borrowed from socialism. Because they understand those who own the big big businesses, <laughs> their bosses at the very, very top, you're not the top dominant shareholders, are the same characters that give you communism. So they'd hand out their employees when they were downsizing. Forms with questionnaires. Well, why should we keep you here? What, what is your contribution to the fact? And you decide to fill it in yourself, you see, and put yourself out of work. Same thing. You have to start seeing how things are connected in life before you'll ever really figure things out in any other way, personally, for your own, own benefit and what's happening to you. And when, you, when you're having your little rebellions in adolescence, and you won't know what you're rebelling about really half the time. You're just uncomfortable with everything and think things aren't the way it should be or in your own personal lives. And, and some folk will blame the whole of society for it, you see. So you're easy to get picked up and, and your meat really to be used by those who want to use you for other purposes. So yeah, well, you're not completely stable all through your life, even with your own relationships at times as well. Because you're fighting different instincts, and the instincts are to bond, whether you like it or not, you know, uh, with with sexual mates. And where the whole agenda has been for an awful long time is to separate the bonding process and intimacy from the sexual act. That was Frankfurt School spelled out quite, quite literally like that, and other groups too. Uh, so you're left with a big, a big kind of chasm in your life. At times as well, when you want something that's just not going to be, you know, uh, be there. Remember, two brave new worlds, and they made that this, this again, they always show you utopias. Eh? So it was a scientific utopia for brave new world, where the scientific groups would run your lives and and did actually breed you for tasks and even keeping the city going. And those instincts that were still human were catered to as well. But you, you had to have sex all the time, but never with the same partner, I think, twice in a week. You'd be watch for that to make sure you didn't bond. And you and you would get someone that would interfere and warn you if they noticed you starting to get, you know, seeing the same person more often and starting to bond. It was a taboo. Uh, these, these, these stories weren't written just for the fun of it. They were written by people... In, who were in a deep state of, of the era in the scientific groups. And scientific groups weren't just uh, a hodgepodge of independent scientists looking for work at times and scraping for work. They were, they were the top managers. The governments had always, especially in Britain, uh, they really um, had developed a, a system of behaviorists and psychologists. Even before the psychologists got their little term as professionals, because the Britain at one time ruled a good part of the world. I hate calling it Britain. I mean, it was London that owned it all. And folk who lived in the city of London owned it all, and, and they owned the resources. That's what they were after. It was only a few thousand families really ran and really owned the whole empire. But they had to keep a form, a semblance of order over the people is far better having them comply by altering and changing and even giving them a new culture which they'll still think is their own. 
You see, when they see officials dressed in the same national garbs as themselves at the top and things like that, they don't realize, no, there's, you're bringing a new system regardless of the flags. I've mentioned this so many times in your national anthems and things. That's how even in the States, they don't even know. Uh, when they, when they, they see the same formats every, every few years of presidents getting sworn in and top people getting sworn in and people draping the flag around them, to, you know, and uh, and seeing the same old things and the, the, the national anthems and brass bands and that, they, they don't realize they're 180 degrees of where they used to be facing. They don't know. And that's the same with the old British Empire, in different parts of India. There were so many different nationalities within ethnic nationalities within India and, and hundreds of languages. That Britain tried to make it more uniform, and they put these satrapies all over the place and people in charge of them. But it wasn't just a commissar and so on. They'd have whole big staffs of people who worked and lived amongst the people, as the people, and and kept tabs on everything. A spy mechanism, but massive. And that's how you kept tabs on things. And you can any anybody who 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 was a bit brighter than the rest, maybe, and could. Uh, communicate better, and who knew what was happening, uh, and could really pass on what he understood, and communicate, he could communicate to others. He could be a future risk down there because of his abilities. And so they'd, they'd either try and recruit him, buy him over, which was often generally successful, or else they'd have to liquidate him. Exactly what Bertrand Russell said in his own books on it, that the elite term. I've always used this technique. He's talking about Britain as well. That they could have uh, scholarships out there for the brighter ones, and bring them into the hallowed halls of the, of basically the granite buildings, you know, the old old buildings, and they'd be overwhelmed at the honour of getting into these places where, where all the, every famous person in the British history had had gone before them, and then they'd bring them into little societies, little clubs, and. Before you know it, you win them over. But he said they'd have to, such people from from the working classes or the lower classes would would have to uh, give up their affiliations, their own family background and their people and their area, you know, working class area. But he says if we can't bring them over to us and buy buy them off, basically, he said we'd have to annihilate them, you know. Eliminate them physically, and that's how things really are. That's how it's always been, and Britain had been using it across the the world for years. That 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 technique, you see, and I'm sure other people, other nations before that had empires did the same same kind of thing. Knowledge is generally very old, and why relearn it? It's like reinventing the wheel. They keep incredible archives of how to do these things down through time. And it, it, for the elite too, there's an elite too, money class too, going way back thousands of years, uh, that always moved out of nations when, when the trouble was, when the barbarians were moving in, put it that way, and when everything was so debauched and, and, and cities were collapsing like Rome, the Roman Empire. They move out with their money and they see it all coming, you know, the, the brighter ones, and and that they have their own communication ability for, through the old caravan trails and commerce and sea. 
and uh, they prepare for it and move out and take the money with them. And when they did that, then they'd, that's why you see the, uh, suddenly uh, an empire would start off in another country because people had moved in with money. That happened in Holland, as an example. And so there, there are different factions in, in, of societies all involved in this big thing we called humanity and the human species. But today, uh, for world domination, which again the trilaterals, remember, are part of, they were set up to bring in world uh, domination, a specialized branch, really, of the higher CFR, or, the, or it was the Lord Alfred Miller Group, that again was for world domination. And, and you can tie them in with the Rockefellers, who was a part of the groups as well, you see, because... Rockefeller was open about it too. He says competition is a sin. Odd thing coming from a top capitalist, eh? or is it? You, you got to get out of your head what you think these folk are, and don't get confused by their words and so on. They want order in society. Competition is a sin. The Alfred Milner Group not only used the British Army to take over uh, and police the, these nations on behalf of his, their group, their clique, basically. But they also had to manage the minds of all the different peoples and different cultures and so on. Uh, but they, they wanted a society where everything was ordered and the right people should look after resources, which was themselves, you see, the people who, who ruled the Milner group. Uh, they had the right to take over. That's what Rockefeller was taught. He belonged to the same organization. As you see, world, world domination. Different names. They would, they would morph their names across the, the world at, at times. So folk couldn't really figure out it was the same group. And nothing's changed. Now remember, folks, you can help me out too by buying a book or discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com or donating to me straight. Donations are really, really welcome. And you can send cash. You can send a, a check. You can use PayPal, uh, MoneyGram, and there's other methods too to get the cash to me because it's important that I just come through all this and talk to people on the way because we need each other, and we've got to have. Uh, I've got no. I've got no axe to grind. I've got no backing from any political party. I, I don't <laughs> bother with politics. And uh, all the world's a stage, as they say, to the extent. Or as I say, all the world's a tax base and we have brought the pairs. You can help me take along by, again, saying some cash my way, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and you'll see how to do it. There's something that was put out not long ago by the Trilaterals again. And don't forget, Kissinger and his character is all part of this of the Trilateral organization that set themselves up uh, ruling over three parts of the world, you see, trilateral. And uh, they, they brought in, again, with the CFR group, that they, they were, they're really a bigger branch, higher branch of, or a specialized department of, really, uh, how they would divvy up the world and look after its resources. And they gave you the European Union, they gave you what was to be the North American Union, huh? NAFTA. Yeah, and then it's, it, they changed the name of it to, to make you think that Trump cancelled it. No, he didn't cancel it. They just changed the, literally changed the name of it. It's the same organization. NAFTA morphed into the USMCA. Same organization. Nothing really changed except the name. Same with the Trans-Pacific 
relationship uh, pact, etc. It's the same one that Obama was started under Obama that continued through Trump's reign as well. So we're still being conned all the time, and um, and it doesn't bother me because I didn't expect it to be any different uh, ever. Because we're always conned. I think every generation is conned and managed again under this massive world system of dominance by those who know. But yeah, Britain eventually handed the baton over to the U.S. at the end of World War II. Some say World War I, you know. Rudyard Kipling, in fact, attended uh, the U.S. and gave a talk. One of the few people to give a talk to the Senate, you know, on the Senate floor, about uh, handing the torch over to you. And when he found out that Britain was going to get scratched pretty well out of it, Kipling really lost it to an extent. He, he still thought they'd be shared partners and and Britain would still have a, a role to play uh, as a dominant partner as well, but no, it was the other way around. He, they didn't know that. Although Britain, so London, the, this, this, the names are awful, aren't they? You always say the British folk. No, the, it's not the British people do anything. This little place, and it's called the City of London, decides the fates of the whole of the UK pretty well. And also the, the fates of a good part of the world, financially, still, to this day. But the techniques aren't, aren't tossed out. As I say, they're kept in archives, special archives, and how to rule. And those who move from place to place as empires rise and fall take the knowledge with them. Why, as I say, why keep it reinventing the wheel? They don't do that. And we find the same kind of things going on with Machiavelli. He was pretty good at telling us what, how to do and manage the, the system and how to manage the people. It's, that's what it's all about, managing the people and keeping them... You, you give them, you try and give the people of all cultures basic stabilities uh, and basic work. If you interfere too much in the work, it'll fall apart. They'll turn on you, you see. And so you want to keep them working. Uh, prefer And make them mainly think that they were still working for themselves, even the small tradesmen and so on. That's a good ploy, that is. Make them think they're still working for themselves as you gradually increase the taxes. Today, we're going through amazing, amazing times because they published everything they wanted to do years and years ago using different crises. From Cold War, it was one of them. Then you had the 2008 crash, 7 and 8 crash. And before that, you had 9-11 again. You lost all your privacy. You gave it up for the common good. Oh, well, you know, we're all under threat, so yeah, we better give it up for the common good. And that's how things really run, you know. It, you never, once it starts, you never get away from it. And, and so everybody quite happily holds their pants up in the airports, etc., with their shoes off, looking like a real fool. Now I guess you've got a mask on to prove that you really are a fool. But, uh, yeah, th- this is how it's done. You, know, you change society by changing the, the visual aspect of so much of it. It's interesting. Very interesting if you get into into the minds and the communication systems of people who are blind. Because they're not so trapped by the visual aspects, which really affects the way that you perceive things. And the last we more question is, why do you have to do that? Why do you have to do this? What does it look like when you're, you know, to you as a person who's sighted when you see these folk holding up their pants and, and they've got their shoes off and 
and they're getting x-rayed at the airports and and but now they've got masks on and things like that you know it, it's quite comical to to, to, to realise they're asking the questions that everybody else should be asking, but it doesn't take you long if you're visuals, if you've got the visual abilities to adapt into the system and, and think it's all quite normal. Really, yeah? It, it really is amazing what, what, we, what we live through, isn't it? And how you constantly adapt and adapt and adapt. Into, into utter ridiculous scenarios. I, I mean, it, it, honestly, if I had the money to, to do a, a comedy show, I'd be doing it right now. The, the, the skits are endless, endless comedies. You, you could dream up about 25 skits a day quite easy, quite easily. And it's the best way, really, just to show people how silly they are, <laughs> make them laugh at themselves. And the system they're in, which they've adapted into, is through comedy and satire. And they're not finished yet. They're not finished yet. With the, As I've said before, I, I used to kind of look at Britain. It's, it's a strange way of looking at it. Because they would churn out Fahrenheit 451, the movie, you know. Even when it was when I was a child and I saw it, I thought this this is kind of it looks antiquated. You know, I didn't know why it was. I guess it was the setting, the way that uh, things in Britain seemed to be done on a small scale. The cars were generally smaller, as I, you know, for, for an eventually the folk could uh, uh, buy <laughs> uh, used cars. See how many a new one anywhere. I, I often wondered where they, if they ever had new cars in Britain at one point, one one small phase, you know. Because most of them, really, if they if they ever collided with anything, would just go into a puffball of brown rust. You know, boof. That's what I always saw in Britain for cars, second-hand ones. But, but once they gave them credit cards in the eighties and in the nineties, that they they could get good debt, you see, and and buy new ones for and pay them off. But Britain, yeah, the Fahrenheit four five, I gave you the impression of of kind of. Almost a nostalgia built into the sci-fi, you know, of people being cozy, a kind of cozy community type. Uh, that's, that's the idea, cozy community kind of thing. Uh, uh, so you'd see a town, a small town, and you see the fire trucks going through it with the big tannoys shouting it for everybody to come out into the gardens, men, women, children, which they had to do by law, you see, because it, so, it was a socialistic type system. Now, you can call it fascistic, socialist, it's all the same thing. Same th- exactly the same thing, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, same techniques are used for everything, and paperwork for everything, too, and, and, and permits, and yada, yada. So they, they see the, the families going into the gardens there, as these things go past them to check them on, so they're looking, looking for a fugitive. And it, it just seems so silly, uh, small-townish, uh, and the fact too that they didn't have the money in Britain to churn out a lot of special effects in those days, you know, they were always broke after, I guess, World War Two. It never recovered from World War One, really. But then, when you found out, when you look at even the old Doctor Who scenarios, you know, there was World Health Organization, I suppose, but Doctor Who and his time, the time machine, Time Lord, of course, a different story behind it. What Time Lords are actually. But 
they showed you, again, the small town scenarios, the settings here and there in villages and towns, a little bit of special effects and so on. But it still seemed that kind of quaintness that there was simply put into their, into their productions, the quaintness. And, and I thought, really, it's a great way to introduce that which is new, isn't it? Under the guise of we're still quaint, we're still small, uh, even though you're not. The impression that you're still small, small towns, small villages, uh, communities, this idea of of what it used to be, and and, uh, bring in the new totalitarian regimes gradually until it is the normal. You're in the sci-fi movie, and the things that used to say that could never happen, you're actually in it. You're hearing the same phrases as they introduce different parts of the silly agenda being used for the public. Again, never mind the slogans, they were all in it together and so on. And um, then you realize that things that you used to laugh at, you know, these old things in Britain, they're actually here. I think you could probably do it faster in Britain than any other country, really, bring in these techniques. When you see the things that they're forcing them to do, uh, the total, f- <laughs> never mind the fact they'll finish what Britain used to be completely. It was all deliberate. It's not happened. It wasn't just being nice to, to massive migration. It's been planned this way yeah, for years. Yeah. And then mass unemployment. Over, I don't care about the statistics. It's all nonsense about job statistics. It's absolute rubbish in every country. And right down... To, to folk getting a, a universal basic income, uh, to stay at home, just like they do in the States and other countries too, and, and Canada, I think some Canada business in Canada can claim it as well. So the employees get locked down and, and they get paid by the state, right out of Bertrand Russell, for goodness sake. And the state has your social credit system, the same as China. China was always the, the test base for all. And the companies that are doing it here all worked with them in China to make it all work, to, to, to see how it would happen. I remember Yahoo was in there big time doing programs like this. And then Google, of course, too. And then they give it to you, you see. And call it something else for different reasons. It was the same thing. And Bertrand Russell said the state will give you credits into your bank account. In the 1940s, he said this. Not because he had a crystal ball. It's because he sat with the big think tanks. He sat with the groups that also knew the Huxleys and worked with them, the scientific type groups. They also had lots of people in sociology and psychology and anthropology involved in them too, and the behaviors. He said, yeah, the state will dish out you so many credits every, every month or week or whatever. And, and he said that um, if you became labeled as antisocial, meaning you, 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 you disobeyed a, a group concept, put out for you. You all had to obey the same. You'd be antisocial and you get punished by withdrawing the credits or withholding them. Uh, and you couldn't use these credits. Like, uh, I mean, you couldn't save them up like a, a normal money thing would do if you didn't use them. It would start off at the same amount in that bank account every week. You see? And, and it gave the impression it would be kind of electronic. And here you're seeing it done. There's, there's articles now in, in Britain, I, I noticed there, where there's a, a, a woman, a young woman and a, a guy who uh, they, they knew each other through an organization. 
again, a political organization, I'm not sure what it was, but uh, she just had her bank account closed by the, the people who owned the banks. <laughs> no excuse given. I couldn't get any excuse, but she eventually works. It's because of her, maybe her political affiliations or her points of view. Bang, that's it. So they're doing it all. All the stuff they talked about in the groups that Bertrand Russell belonged to back then. And they were given authority. Truman gave them authority, President Truman, and others as well, to create a post-World War II culture for the West. Not a static culture, but step-by-step alteration of the culture, right to where we are today. Quite fascinating. With, with a massive, massive bureaucracy, like a huge, huge think tank, working at all the details and how to implement it. It would be a Fabian-type thing where it would take years to implement, maybe a generation. But here you are, huh? <laughs> and folk think they're just, they've got their own minds, and they, make, they think they're make their own decisions as they go through it, and they have no idea. It's all laid out before them. Everything that's happening today, laid out. But you, and the, the beauty of it is, is Fabian, Fabian after the journal in Rome. You know, you just keep dragging out and dragging out. Don't go think, do things quickly. Because most thinker, most folk are short-term thinkers. You want to get it done in your lifetime, don't you? Most things that you, you plan when you're young, yeah, I want to get that done in my lifetime. And but if you if you want to take over a world, for instance, you might get a lot of pushback if you just say I want to take it over now. And people start fighting, you know, just do it in a gradual way and, and plan that maybe you'll be dead. You might start off the, the, the foundation that, that'll be doing it all, but, uh, and you may have gone. But down the road, successors that work for the same foundation will make sure it's all implemented because you change society gradually, incrementally. Gradualism is the key to everything, step by step, and people adapt into it. I never forget the the example she you had of uh, from a society that was paranoid at one time about governments. They never trusted governments in Britain at one time when I was small. I mean, small, or I should say, we Scotsmen are are never small. They're always we, and. I used to listen to to, to the people who, 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 even the common miners, the working class people, were well-educated, actually better than they are today, I think, because they, they read, a lot of them read like crazy. It was fascinating to see some of the books that they, they actually read. And um, they, were, they were inquisitive. Their minds were not much better. I think something's happened to our brains. I really do. And there's evidence, actually I say that the United Nations IQ tests showing that we're IQs dropping every few years. Eh? But back then they knew who owned the newspapers, they knew who owned the TV stations, they knew who, who all the lords were in the House of Lords, you know, all the who, people who were merchants and bankers and, and uh, very rich people. They knew who they were and who they were before they got the title name, because a lot of them hide behind the title names, eh? it's good camouflage, eh? but they would remember, they would keep tabs of things, and but they were paranoid of governments, because governments were never there to really help you, they knew that much, that was awfully, uh, they, they had that, you got to remember that prior to World War II, they had the huge marches, 
from the Great Depression onwards, that great march is going through down to London uh, to, to put hand in. Um, back then, they didn't just burn and loot down the way down there, the, the working classes, people, you know. They, they, um, they were pretty peaceful, and they would, have, they would be helped along the way by folk in different towns that would bring food out to them and, and tea, etc., but the idea was to bring in petitions to make the point that, that something had to be done about the mass unemployment in, in Britain at one point. That's what really stirred people like Orwell, George Orwell, and many others of his ilk as well, who belonged to a different class, you know. But they saw the, 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 ter- the, the terrible conditions of the people who didn't have health care, they didn't have unemployment <laughs> benefits generally, and or welfare. Welfare was something you had to get on your knees and beg for. And it came with conditions. They still had poor, poor houses, remember, under different guises, but they're still poor houses. This was Great Britain at the height of its empire. You see, the, the empire was for the few, again, in the city of London, and for a few thousand families outside of it too, who lived in big estates. And folk don't realize that. They really, they really don't realize that. I can remember, I think it was the Sherlock Holmes series from the 1980s with, was it Jeremy? Jeremy? I can't remember if it was Irons or, or what his name was. But anyway, it was a good series. But they showed you these, these big mansions which were actually um, owned by the, the, the elite of, of the period. These massive estates, you know. And the buildings they had there with huge pillars, and it set out in the country. And um, these four, some of them went, went to, to the 1700s, some to the 1600s, when they were appointing folk to be charge of treasuries, and, and the early Bank of England, for instance, and so on. And taxation systems, incredibly wealthy people. But at least, as I say, in Britain, a lot of folk had the, had the, the, the remembrance of all of that. It only took maybe the years from 1980s onwards to folk to start to forget that you've got to watch these characters and your, your governments like hawks all the time. All the time, you know. The people who bring the wars. Who, and, and don't forget, though, you had people like Tony Blair. I, I was quite fascinated to see how many wars... Britain had been involved with with what people thought was a liberal type government, and then Labour government, and it was astonishing under under Blair, um, who was supposedly people think he well, was for Labour, you know, and the man had never worked in his life for goodness sake, eh? He's a for Labour? You you're kidding me? The guy was he so, socialism as as a tool of the elite, communism is a tool of the elite, socialism is just a slower form of it, you see. To get to the, and and it make perfect sense. I kept saying, "Wait a minute here, Tony." I knew Tony Blair's his mentor was Isaiah Berlin, you know, and he used to go to him for advice on policies over the public, like positive freedom and negative freedom, and he, and he went to ask him to one point: Is it possible to have? The two working together in a certain semblance of positive and negative freedom at the same time. Uh, but then Tony Blair was like a one-man band, but he had a few around him that were just as supposedly far left as him, who also, they all end up incredibly fabulously wealthy, because they're owned by masters, you see. 
but um, but the, the, when you see the philosophy of socialism, international socialism, the borderless world, eh? mass migration, uh, and Tony Blair was was responsible for using the British Army along with America. Uh, for the Middle East turn wars, you know, it didn't benefit the average person in Britain or America at all. You were left with the tab, actually, and the fallout, including mass migration. It was all factored into it before they started, because Tony Blair wanted to destroy the remnants. His, his left hand, his right left, or left wing, left hand man said it. The guy next to who was his deputy said that a few years later, and I read the articles on the air at the time. That Tony Blair's um, his policy was to eradicate basically uh, the British, you know, the, the white British people in Britain itself. That's what his his deputy said. Published it as published in the papers at the time. And you say, well, wait a minute, what was where is this factor into to represent in Britain? Well, you got to understand what their concept of Britain is. You got to also see what their concept of going across the Middle East and financing terrorist organizations, even even starting them up. They were just mercenary organizations, most of them, to attack other countries. Well, we know that there's a, a pact. But there's a pact involved here. We all know this. Eh? We can't go any deeper than a pact. But also, it fulfills socialism's um, agenda by getting rid of what they claim as secular governments. Even the one in, in Egypt, when they, when they voted the guy in Egypt, they said it wasn't secular enough, so they had to dethrone him as well. Well, who's they, you know? Did the people in Britain get No. Or the U.S.? No. We're as ignorant as, as, as ever about it all. Of course we are. But there's always a they there. And it said in the papers that uh, the authorities, the authorities, whose authorities, said that they'd want, they wanted secular governments because they're easier to rule, you see. People who, who stick to their religious beliefs will, will stand up for themselves collectively and be a problem. You do away with that and folk can't stand up for much for anything at all. In Canada, I can remember years ago when they were deregulating the, the te- telecommunications industry because you had, you had big um, cable networks in the cities. And uh, under the, when they were deregulating them to give, supposedly give more competition, which is a joke because Canada is nothing but monopolies and cartels working with government. But they said, oh, the snowbirds, the, the retirees are going to get, have to start paying the higher prices now because before I get, they got some kind of subsidy or something or discount. And uh, that was the only time I remember, and they said this in, the, in all the media at the time, the Ottawa, the Parliament, was overwhelmed with letters and complaints and phone calls from people demanding that the people, the, the, the snowbirds get their same discounts so as they could get their entertainment. Because, you see, that's your propaganda thing. The folk are hooked on it. That's the only time. Did they stand up for anything? No. Did they stand up against the wars across the middle? No. But they stood up, stood up when they're in, take their TV off them and they're ready to, 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 to march the Ottawa, crutches and all. I mean, it's astonishing to see how things really are. And, and before I get off that part of the topic, because I'm rambling a bit, it's to do with socialism itself. I can remember, as getting back to the, the people in Britain and elsewhere, who knew what socialism was. 
Nothing is for free. That's one thing they all knew when nothing is for free, you know. There's conditions. And once you're dependent on a system or parts of a system, they're going to demand more from you and more and more compliance in ways that you, you, it's not good for you. Like taking vaccinations is one of them. That's already written into the <laughs> these handouts are given. If you haven't noticed them, eh? have you read the small print everywhere? <laughs> Nothing's for free. You, you, you sign away every right to, to even say no. You've already, if you've signed it, well, you're now going to have a problem getting out of it, aren't you? Everyone's contractual legalities, eh? The law of the sea, maritime law, and all the rest of it. It's so true, isn't it? All of that stuff. But people really, uh, they don't know. They, th- they think they're living in a real system and, and almost like a small time, even if you're living in a city now, you, if you watch television often, you'd think you're living in a small town, rural area, <laughs> as they give you the, the nonsensical, nostalgic uh, drama series and so on. Unless they're giving you the, the hypersexualized dramas of folk who are completely addicted to and uh, Games of Thrones and all the rest of it. And, and then you worship the, the portrayal of sadomasochistic psychopaths as they battle with each other for supremacy. It's quite interesting to see what they've done and what they've made appealing to the public. At the same time, remember, as selected psychologists and behaviorists are given big money to put out, and with, in collusion with BBC and other TV organizations, to put out shows on, you know, under the, like, like pseudo-documentaries. Maybe, maybe it's a natural thing for psychopaths to rule over us. Maybe we need them. Because <laughs> they can make the decisions. No kidding, eh? They can make the decisions, eh? There's nothing out there by chance. Nothing. Everything's vetted and for a purpose. And the purpose generally is to get inside your skull and do a bit of tampering implant itself and down the road to see you'll be you'll be saying, you know, maybe we need a psychopath to be a strong man to get us out of this. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I saw that program too. It seemed quite interesting, you know. It's it's too easy, isn't it? It really is too easy. that that was it Dexter. I never saw it, but people made a big deal and sent me lots of articles about Dexter. It was about a psychopath who was portrayed as the good guy in some TV drama series where he'd, he'd, he'd eliminate the bad guys, like, like the vigilante type thing, uh, using his cunning and his reason and his inability to get away from him. But he had no personal stake in it. He, did, he, he, would, he was a psychopath, you see. I realized, I saw recently that two women used that in their defense because they, uh, they had a relationship t- together, these two women, right? But one of them had been married, I think it was. No, no, they wanted to get money in, so they decided to use men. They'd lure men in, you see. And uh, that this one young guy who lived in the same apartment building, I don't know if they gave him drugs or what they did, but eventually they chopped him up like mincemeat and got rid of parts of his body and the whole thing. They used his cell phone and uh, they texted his friend. They got to know him well enough to know what his routine was. He would text his friend. So they did that for two or three days. So they'd think he was still alive, you see, and things were normal. They wouldn't come looking. 
and 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 a whole bunch of things that they they'd, they said they got it all from watching that Dexter, and then they used his money, his bank account, and that and the whole thing, and yada yada. They could use the app, his app on his phone, for you see. But everybody else they would never have a clue that he was gone because they. He was still texting them, apparently, and oh, I'm fine. And they knew what he would say to his pals and how he would joke with certain ones, all from watching that psychopath series. Interesting, you know. This is say, this years ago, monkey see, monkey do, eh? And it's a sad truth, isn't it? It's a, it's a terribly sad truth. Humans are just too easy to manipulate. And it's not new. It's an, it's an old old thing that we're, they're easy to manipulate. And her fashions are part of it. In fact, the fashion can be, you know, physical fashion that you wear, clothing. It, it can also be the fact, it, it can be your behavior. Um, you, the, the, the gesticulations you use when you're chatting or standing. It can be deportment, in other words. I mean, deportment for the wealthier classes. I don't know if they teach, they used to teach in finishing schools for women, but they had ones for guys too, where they could even, uh, there's a certain way to, to sit down with grace, you see, and, and look confident and graceful. Actors get used to get taught this kind of thing too, how they do it all. But their accent, that's where you get the posh accent, that honestly is, uh, so if you take English, English uh, is the common accents. <laughs> that's, that's real English. And they had different uh, dialects throughout England and in Scotland too. Scotland, you would go down, down the coast, you could you joined, the, the, the different dialects would be astonishing. Even though you know, towns, you are meant towns even two or three miles apart could have big differences in what they, in the terminology they used too, in words and old words and and the year of the words they still used. Same in all through England. It was quite fascinating. Unfortunately, TV's destroying most of that and, and you know, making it more uniform. But the upper crust one accents really, to an extent, were um, affected. You call it affected uh, because they didn't want to sound like the common folk. So they kept adopting new ways of, of speaking and uh, to differentiate them from the people, the common people. Until you ended up with absurdities before World War Two, had that short clip, they call it a clipped accent. And as I mentioned before, certain words had to be pronounced exactly the right way. You couldn't say happy anymore. You say happy. They were happy. You think you think it was an H E. You see, and uh, and then you had the physical gesticulations they would use in their deportment as they were chatting to differentiate themselves from ordinary people as well. Uh, it's absurdity. Humans are pretty laughable. I mean, it's a species, aren't we? When you look at the French revolutions, and you you look too at the um, the, the, how it led up to it, and the debauchery in France as well, and yet people like Benjamin Franklin over there is the ambassador for America or the U.S. Uh, to 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 France to get because France was was funneling the the it was there to gather loans to keep the revolution going you see he eventually by the way uh, was kind of had a Masonic trial going back to the, the states because he'd been embezzling a lot of it and that came out as well but that's why his son couldn't get put in uh, as uh, a kind of higher level civil servant or whatever happened like that. It's because of that. Eh? 
but back to, back to France. He went to the parties in France. Quite fascinating to see the parties. There's fantastic records in France of the different Americans that were sent over there. But Franklin took the biscuit. I mean, he was given a big mansion and treated like royalty. You always read in the history books of this common, this common American, this plain American, you know. Oh, that was a plain American, me. And that's how you picture him. That's how they put in the movies. But, but he lived in a mansion like a king over there. Servants, teams of servants and coachmen. And they had bills there of the cost of keeping it up from there. And just the booze alone uh, that was ordered every week. You know, like drums and casts of the stuff for his parties that he laid on. Uh, these were all-night parties, eh? And Madame Pompadour and all these characters that he, he met who would go in with her fashions and her affectations. And uh, and she had the, literally the famous, I was at her, I think she had the famous, one of them had the famous bird cages woven into the wig that she had uh, about four feet above her head, eh? Just to be different, you understand? <laughs> so it, it's rather sad to look at humans who want to be seen and, and adored and uh, and to impress people, you know. Oh, aren't you impressed at the cash I've, I've blown for this one night, you know. Uh, oh, there you go. So we're very predictable in a sense. Very, very predictable. And corruptible is, is the other thing too. But it, I don't think there's ever been a system we have had an honest system of governance. They say that the best form of governance you can possibly have is when Rome started off, as an example, early Rome, where they, they had copied a lot of the Greek culture. And Greek had fallen in decadence and went down the tubes as well. And empire. I mean, don't forget that Greek went, Greece went into empire. And they had a, a little commonwealth, very much like Britain eventually copied an idea of this idea of commonwealth with hundreds of islands, including, you know, the, the different um, centers. They would have different capitals at times, but they, they'd, they'd have a, a commonwealth and would all be equal in the commonwealth. But of course, the corruption was so massive that certain money was flowing into the capitals and folk were absconding with it and spending it on themselves. So corruption, 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 until it falls apart. And then other countries are so sick being taxed, other islands were to pay for the rest of them. Well, that happened with Britain as well, you know. The ordinary folk never get anything out of it at all. They're, they're handed the bill and they've got to clean up the mayhem that's left at the end of it. But that's how it works. Rome took over from the Etruscans, as you know. And, and and they talk about having a... It was much more honest at the time when you had more of an equal poverty because the landowners worked with the people and, and their slaves. They'd work with them in the fields and sweat it out, and they'd also double as a military. That's how they, they did it then. And... Uh, but once you started getting money and investing and investing in ships, cargoes and, and international commerce, the corruption just went crazy. And then decadence set, set in with, with subsequent generations. And until then, they had the same debauchery eventually as, uh, as Greece had, you see. That's the state of it. It's quite amazing watching, though, Britain, 
because they, they had it so perfected by the time they had the British Empire that they didn't have much debauchery for the average British peasant. <laughs> they couldn't share in debauchery because they, were, they, they didn't have much, they kept them pretty poor, you know. But the upper classes, sure, they certainly had it. But not, nothing on the scales before that they had. Uh, oh, Britain was awfully good at hiding its corruption with up in the upper classes. Very good at even today they're far better at it than America. You know, again, you, 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 they never toss out history when it can teach you so much. Uh, not who's fighting battles and who won battles or lost battles, but that but the system that runs you during those historical periods. You see, these eras are awfully important because. It's all to do with managing the people. That's what it's about. How to manage them, how to keep them placated and semi-happy, even in terrible circumstances at times too. Under the commercial system, in an industrial system, you had, you had horror really set in, mandated from the government departments in Britain. Uh, until Britain became the poor man of Europe, the, the squalor and the disease and the, the illness amongst the public was was uh, uh, it was deplorable. All Europe uh, talked about it as horrible. It was that bad as the people who had the money got incredibly rich off the backs of the peasants and uh, child labour galore in the factories. People who, uh, who and, until the children were deformed at times too, the, working on these low ceilinged places in the factories. Everything was was excess profit, excess profit, and they they breathed in the cotton too, and there was diseases from that too. And the woolen places had diseases for their lungs as well. And that you had the, the different uh, charitable institutions eventually went round the factories. Uh, looking at the, the, the children and putting out their different inquiries into into the papers to show you that how horrible it was, and different cases there they had listed, uh, it, making it more more human, more personal. They give names to the people. It wasn't just so many children were seen with hunched backs, and so they gave them names and they talked to them and they would personalise them, just like you do in hostage taking. The first thing you do. Is to try to. It's not just a hostage anymore. Tell the person that's holding them. This is this is Mary or this is this is William or whoever it happens to be. To personalise them as a human being, and it's only then, as a human being, you start to. Well, that's not just another case number type thing. It's a real person, and that's how they do it. But that's how they got like Wilberforce and other different ones. How they how they personalise the people who. These children, who whose life expectancy probably wouldn't reach thirty, you know, that was, that was taken as normal. So again, back to those huge, massive mansions you'll see in old Sherlock Holmes, nineteen eighties, I think it's nineteen eighties series. These are the people who owned the factories. Some of them actually were the bankers. <laughs> and, and and during that period, as I say, people literally. Where, where it's like bring out the dead every day in some of these manufacturing cities. Horrible, horrible, absolutely. And, and as I say, it was a sick man of Europe, Britain, during that whole period. As, a people, as those people who owned those buildings got richer than ever before. And it's so disgusting for me today to, to hear this stuff about white privilege. Because, it, believe you me, uh, <laughs> 
the folk in Britain were white, and the folk who were dying in, in, their, in crowded buildings, living under tables and so on, sometimes in their master houses. That's where they slept in the kitchen, and uh, they were white, and they were they were starving, and and they, had, they were malnourished. Again, most of them wouldn't even, even even in the better houses, wouldn't have lived till they were about forty, because they, 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 they had sixteen to eighteen hour days work, one one day off, I think one day or half a day off every two weeks. Yeah. It's quite something, and it's quite something again to look at how we're managed to get businesses. And big businesses don't sit down and have brainstorms about problems or how to get more out, suck more out a customer or consumer like Bernays would would have done. They, they they do hire professionals, professional think tanks. Again, some of them are like the size of small countries' bureaucracies of experts. That's what you hire. Who look into the problem and they get paid well for it, and they'll they'll get to the basic uh, way of of managing uh, whatever it is the problem is. It's always it's generally human problems, you know. How do we get the public to do more of this without realizing they're doing more of this, or 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 blah? But there's some way to get around things anyway. Very effective, very efficiently, and that was started with time and motions, where they tried to adapt the worker to suit the machines. And in a machine, you, you could certainly turn up the speed of the automatic machines, even in woodworking. They would do automatic uh, turning, for instance. But the person who's going to lift them and feed the things into the machine then has to keep up with the, with the machine. It's, that's not human, you see. It's not human at all. When it comes to making money, most humanity goes out the window for, on behalf of those who actually own everything. It's, it's rather true, isn't it? rather true. And what you see as humanitarian efforts is often a con up to the present day under the guise of charities today. Oh, the scandals behind the charities. Don't forget, too, that even amongst the rioters and so on in the different streets of the different pseudo-communist groups, eh? you've got other ones that register charities that have buses and everything to, to take them to their different states for their, for their <laughs> demonstrations. Eh? Uh, and, and other big ones, big, huge ones that cater for them, like f- professional caterers and I mean, charitable organizations. You're looking at completely organized and financed and funded. Um, it's like military convoys. That's huh? what it is. But we go along with the farce, don't we? Well, it's just, pro- it's not protest. Protesters don't burn other citizens' places and their homes down. And the reason you're getting all that happening now, at the same time you got the COVID, and at the same time as as the, <laughs> the states is coming, can we watch it? Uh, the the mayors and the governors of different places in the states are telling us the police to stand down and let the rioters burn places, but they're coming down and fining the rest of the public who are not part of the riots for not wearing masks. These are amazing times, eh? But there are times where the biggest lessons can be learned if you ever wanted to change anything at all. Because at the same time, as they're really telling the cops to stand down, you're seeing that you, you, you're seeing differently. 
part of what you're saying is, well, you need the cops for against the crime. Right? But then you're seeing the judges let them go. As soon as they're caught, the people are burning and looting. In some cases, they're stabbing people. And they're letting them go right away without fines or anything. You're looking at total insurrection within the nation itself. Which tells you that if you ever had to go back to any kind of system that worked, you'd have to eliminate uh, those roles of these judges, get them out of the, out of the chairs and, and replace them with people. And if you could even find people who, who would stand up for decency and law and order for the rest of the public. Hmm? It also tells you that there are, there are things wrong with police today. As well, both sides, you see, because you certainly get, you'll always have an element in the police forces uh, that uh, they see themselves at war with the public. That's how they, every day they go out on, on, on patrol. They're at war with the public. That's how they see it. You know, and in the states has, has got so many hot zones all over the place anyway that it, it can't be an easy thing to do. But, but even so. We've got plenty of YouTubes out there with cops picking on the easy targets, the the folk. It's generally white folk they're picking on who don't wear masks and things, women as well. Because no one's going to stand up for them. They know that, you know. And again, that's a, that's a, that's a telling thing on society. We're not equal at all. Because when the government says it's okay to beat up these folk, you know, because of their colour, now, you're, 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 now you've got real trouble, you see. And it also tells you your government departments are so incredibly corrupt themselves to allow all this to happen. You'd have to change all them to completely empty them all out, wouldn't you? Uh, never mind the media. I mean, do you realize that the system inside the U.S. that runs it all normally now are the revolutionaries, the newspapers. They're all, all behind all. All for it. Telling you not to believe your lying eyes. Eh? They're all part of it. The, the Gramsci thing, they, they took over the whole system step by step by step. Including the big, big corporations. The, the, the only ones now you're pretty almost that you're able to get food from now, like the Walmarts. And they make sure... That you get locked down, but you can't. And all the other stores used to be supply, they're, they're out of the game now. No competition. They've eliminated the competition. Isn't that amazing? So you're left with these massive monstrosities. They can then enforce. Well, if you come in, you, you know, you sign your name and address at the very least in case one person in the store might have COVID. Because we want you to come and see you, because you were there that day too. See? Conditions, conditions, compliance, compliance. Or punishment for not complying. Folk don't know what they're living through in any time of their life, most of the time. The young think they're, they're living for, for fun, or they're seeking fun. They're seeking something that's going to make them happy, even temporarily. Drugs or whatever, too, of course. You also have all the media putting out their own uh, truth versions, you see, checking truth versions of everything that comes out, and, and hammering anybody who, comes, who repeats stuff coming out of places like MIT, 
And they'll call you a conspiracy theorist. There's no tattoos involved in these vaccines, even though they've tried these things out in, in, in the MIT and so on, and, worked, and published their, their stuff about possibly um, markers for, for identifying who's had vaccinations, these vaccinations that they come up with right now. And then the COVID passports and so on. Right? And then you also get it from the big pharmaceutical companies talking about, you know, this is a different kind, this is a new type of vaccination that, that literally will alter the genetic makeup, the, D, the DNA type strands, and especially epithelial tissue, apparently perhaps. And then he repeats it, and, and then we'll immediately come out and say, oh, you know, this is a conspiracy theory, you know, there's just a normal vaccine. When you can, you can, it wouldn't matter the very fact you can give them the information from the vaccine manufacturers themselves. It doesn't make any difference. Why would you ever give credence ever to a media that from February onwards just pummeled you with lies and terror and horror? All kinds of media. Huh? And even when, when they had to backtrack and backtrack, as, as thousands more doctors and professionals came out with evidence that this is all lies, when, why would you start to believe them again as they go for the next push, the so-called next spike, as they want to call it, for the total lockdown over the winter, into all through next year and into the next year? Five years of talking, as I said before. Permanently. But the, the media, you allow yourself to be horrified and terrified and petrified by the same media giving you the same lies? I used to wonder, when do you start trusting liars? Well, you, if you have any sense, you don't, you, can, you can't ever trust them. I guess the whole lesson of finding out you're being lied to on such an incredible scale. This isn't little white lies here. This is deliberate, horrifying the public about something they can't even see that literally affects so few people. And even then, it probably won't even really affect them. They're dying of other things. They're dying, you see. You can't even get the flu shot in, uh, uh, numbers anyway. They lumped all them in with COVID, you see. Just to prop up the number. But the people are going to start repeating again as you get locked down and go back into debating the fact. Why bother even debating it anymore? See, facts have said so many times don't matter. It's a huge agenda, resolute. They've all sworn to it at the top. Layer upon layer of everything that controls your reality. They're all sworn to it and all well paid to, to stay. And they, none of them will break ranks. You think you're, you're ruled by independent people? No, no. You're ruled by organizations that are all connected in a pyramid type uh, picture, you might say. Levels and layers of them. But they're sworn to it. They, not one of them's going to break ranks. Eh? Remember, too, I've already going over a mark, going to cuttingthroughthematrix.com. As always, I say, list all my official sites. That's where they're all listed, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And if anyone goes down 
because now we're in a new stage where they're going to really go after them. I actually said this. I, read, I gave this talk back in March uh, as I went through the different uh, event 201 and, and then the one from uh, from the Rockefellers 2010. They said that, that through the different st- steps, they would eventually go into, again, with resolute authority, they'll then go after the people, literally, physically, that speak out against it. So if anything goes down, and they're also already interfering <laughs> electronically with, with the people, um, they're getting information out there. So hopefully you can go into the, my other sites and get my talks on the Sunday nights, because uh, I try to get them up by the Sunday night. Uh, and that's when even the speed to slow down to a crawl there, because obviously they know I'm doing it. Then, you know, it's not like they're spending a fortune on me. And everything's algorithms now, and everything's time now too. Most of it's all run by artificial intelligence. And if you're on the list, you just get harassed all the time. So make a list of of the sites, and uh, and also remember my sites too. I have the links to to my talks of the different topics I mention. Uh, you'd be surprised how many how many folk out there have got really um, impressive sites and lots of money coming in. But I do the work for them for free because it's all done, you see. They just take the topics and here's the links to it all and, and repeat it. So you can get the links at least and uh, and keep them for future use because if we, regardless of how we come through all of this, it's good to have a record to remind yourself of how the same characters will suddenly all be your friends again after they've brought in the new system of tyranny. And it, and it will. There'll be a, uh, you see, you'll adapt to the new form that was a lesson a little bit. And, and you'll for, uh, in 20 years' time, and children will grow up thinking, oh, this is quite normal. You're going to say, look, look this, is, I'm not, this is not natural yet. We're still under tyranny. Here's how they did it, you know. You need the evidence. You really need the evidence. Years ago, I gave, I gave topics on, I remember too, before I get off the, the current matrix, yeah, donate to me as well, and maybe if you want to get the books and discs, let me know. And you can find out how to do it, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Uh, and donate, you can use MoneyGram, PayPal, you can send cash or checks. And anything else you can find out that's innovative, <laughs> you can get it to me. Because I certainly need it naturally to keep going with all these different sites that I have. But yeah, you've got to remember what really happens. We, we Don't get go right back into fighting so-and-so's version of what it is compared to so-and-so's. They're already falling into that because like years ago I said, what the internet was meant to overload you with chat rooms and so on. And don't forget, don't forget, never mind the trolls you'll get if you bother to get comments and so on. Um, if you're silly enough to do that, I think, really, and the sock puppets, etc., they'll target you automatically, you know. But, but you also, um, you already realize that there's thousands of folk suddenly come out of nowhere and, and they've got all this promotion and they've got money there and... And you, you get sucked into them, and they'll, they'll get you going around, and they'll get you fighting with other groups and arguing with different people, and so on. Or they'll take you off and into. I used to explain it back in the nineties, when you start to wake up, as an example, just waking up itself. Uh, whatever made you wake up, maybe you ran into a government um, official 
or an office, in fact, for, for help for something, for, uh, for a department you sit there to help me, in, and that's what you believe. And you'd find that when you got there that, that, that they'll, they'll give you advice to do this and that and the whole bit. It's like, it's like rubber tools. That's what they give you, rubber tools. And when you, when you really need them, the help from these agencies that your, that your tax money is funding, right? Uh, then you go. You, then they'll give you these rubber tools, and it's like it's like having a rubber pick for the road. You try to make a hole, and, you, you, and it just bounces off. You think nothing works the way they thought it would work. They're fake, you see. That's how most things really, really are. They're pretty well fake. If you're not on a list of, of categories of people that they must help, which is totally politicized as opposed to, as opposed to need. Huh? or equality and need, uh, then you've had it. It's that simple. That's it. When you have that, then, then the system runs over you. Rubbish is, this is the proper way you say it, runs over you, not rules you. Um, it's utterly corrupt, to, from the top to the bottom, right down to the police forces. And when police forces will literally t- turn a blind eye, including the cities, uh, the official turn a blind eye to children getting taken up for prostitution, put on drugs by certain groups, because it was a, it's a hot political topic, because it involves different groups, you know, oh dear. You're finished. You're finished. You're already finished. So that's the truth of it. And so you can't give them any credence, and you can't give them any applause. If they won't do their job properly at all, you know, then I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't give them an applause for anything that they did. Absolutely not. Because as a police, they'll get turned against everybody uh, with under tyranny. And they will. They'll, they'll, they'll happily go out and smash your heads in. Um, if you're in the right categories, that is, you know. You, know, you can't, ugh. Most folk now are, are pretty disgusting with their cowardice. Disgusting is the word, yeah. Especially those who take money for it. But they won't risk losing their job by doing the right thing at times. So the internet uh, would eventually become Babel, you see. Which it has become Babel. And the authorities themselves, and I usually read from the authoritative articles from different professors that work for governments, lots of them do, talking about data, how they'd overload everyone with just data. And when it became to emotive topics, that's what they would use to get different groups and forums all arguing with each other. Never mind the fact a lot of the forums were set up by the ones to attract folk in, then they'd attack you. And just like the, the, the 77th Brigade of cyber warriors, they call them in Britain. And they have many other ones too, in different categories of them as well, uh, that'll hammer you. If you want to get involved in, in uh, taking people on head on, you know, your point of view versus there is all a big, a big game to them. But it's managed that way. And it, but when you see all the different people, they always give you your leaders, remember, the dialectical process. I remember one of the, the characters who, talking about um, communism, how communism used to or Marxism, call it what you want. But literally, or even the top bankers, which are capitalists, often the same thing. Monopoly men, you know, 
everything's monopolies, including communism, isn't it? Monopolizing nations, monopolizing culture, monopolizing you know, everything you need is monopolized by the same people. That's control. But they talked about how they brought in the Federal Reserve as an example. And we know about uh, what happened in Jekyll Island. And we also know, too, that Mandel House boasted that he had a big part in it, too. And uh, at least in his own book, he says that. You know, he liked to get a bit of the credit, indeed. But uh, you, you find out that they put propaganda out there. They're so Bernays, this beautiful, I'm sure Bernays must have been involved because that was his speciality, it was propaganda and manipulation of public opinion, even creating public opinion and manipulating you know, and negating other, other opinions too. This is an old art member, but they talked about the banks themselves that wanted, that wanted a Federal Reserve, a, a centralized system, a cartel, Put out uh, by themselves, other bankers or the other bankers just to to say, "Oh, this is going to be bad for the people if they do that." You see, and um, and the people would vote for it. See, that's well, well, we'll vote for it. If the bankers don't like it, then it must be good for us. If, if bankers are complaining about it. And uh, they, they give the impression too that it would be government run and all that, you know. But it's a private system. They always get you to to demand and want what they want you to demand, because <laughs> this what they want in the first place. You understand? That's that's a technique, just like the vaccination to help us. I was thinking back today on, uh, I think two thousand and nine, when they had a, a flu epidemic out there, and supposed an epidemic, and. Because then they blew that one up too. Uh, they made millions of doses of vaccines. They ended up hurting people in different countries. Nobody wanted it anyway. Then the darn flu just frittered away like it always does until it wasn't necessary anyway. And so millions of doses weren't had to get ditched. But I remember the PR campaign, the public relations campaign, was a similar build-up, you see, for the WHO with the vaccine companies all colluding together. And don't forget the WHO is, is heavily funded by Get the Gates Foundation, that's involved in the Gavi and all the rest of it. And so they're all paid off. They're all, it's all corrupt, as I say. And you, you can't have honesty where folk are all getting money from the same sources. You know, It's not from the public purse so much. It's from, the, it's from the same characters that run the vaccine companies. So in that one, they, they, they told the doctors at the time. I did, I did the talks on the radio at the time. And uh, the news was that they told the doctors from the WHO and from their own CDC and so on in the States and the health departments in Canada just to start diagnosing everybody with a sniffle rather than testing them as having this particular flu strain. And so they just, they just massively put all the numbers up. It was just disgusting. You know, Same thing as today. Same thing. No shame at all to lie and deceive and to prop up the numbers, to try to get folks to take the shots. But they had the folks so terrified then. This is how they did, you see, this is all nothing new. They've tested all this out and our reactions to it, or lack of reactions at times, and they've really vamped up this time. But back then, 2009, they actually showed you little clips of people standing in line for the shots who would start fighting each other 
because they wanted to get it first because they believed the propaganda that these these uh, the different pharmacies that were giving the shots and so on in these clinics would run out of the shots. They believed that. That's why they all rushed to get it. Oh, they're going to run out of the shot. Then they started fighting with each other. If someone was in front of them, that they would, would try and get ahead of them, and they'd start leapfrogging over each other. That's human behavior. It's, it's guaranteed to happen the same way again. Eh? Terrify them until they'll be fighting each other to get it. Hmm. We're predictable. Because mainly they've, they've tried it before on other scales. You know, studied this. And this is the inhumane part of so much of everything that happens today. We're looked upon not as people anymore. Your numbers. Your numbers. You already have your personality profile complete in different data banks, governmental agency data banks. Everybody in North America also has a virtual one of themselves in a program in the Pentagon. I remember doing articles years ago where they admit that they, they, on a daily basis they would get they would add to your profiles that you volunteered through through your chat and through your and calls. And texting and everything else, and they get added to your profiles, and uh, even your dreams and thoughts as you, you they'd share with friends and stuff, and and so they've they've a virtual one of you, every one of you, and and these and they could set little games on you to, to put you in situations in a virtual sense to see how the virtual you would react, knowing uh, how you would behave basically, because they they studied you. And and put it all complete. And they said that if they used, if they set up a scenario in real life, then you're pretty well guaranteed to follow the same pattern as the virtual you. How would that? How the virtual you would have dealt with it, and so on. You'll do the same. Well, you'll succumb. Will, will you comply? Will you blah blah blah? You're, you're pretty well predictable. And and it, as this happens, it gets worse and worse and worse until you've got this massive superstructure. That they showed you in that, that um, THX eleven thirty eight. They were underground. That underground scenario, folk, folk didn't even see the lights, and they had Deval and other ones working in atomic uh, with isotopes and uh, dangerous occupations. But as as he gets off the drugs again, you're you're, you're drugged every day. The same soma idea. Eh? They'll keep you drugged all the time, but you feel it's to stop you from thinking and being depressed and keep keep you drugged. And um, and Deval started to cut back on his mandated medication, daily medications, along with his wife or his partner. They put him in for just for the sexual desires to try to get make sure that you'd, you'd every possible. You, what does an animal need? Well, like, like sex. Therefore, give him sex. Blah blah blah. That's how they see the, the people in the movie. But when he himself isn't going along with the formula of how he should be behaving, you, you actually, it flashes off back to a couple of a couple of times in the scenes of these batteries of TV um, screens. And it's a scientific lab that are studying the people, and at the moment they're studying him. And they must have implants in him as well, because they were pressing different buttons and watching him double up in pain or react in different ways as the implants were stimulated, and, and talking all matter-of-factly, as though he was just an extension of the, a machine or a computer. And that's where we're going with it all, if, if not actually here. 
in some countries, as I've mentioned before, they've already they're, they're celebrating it against public relations. It's big advertising campaigns. Oh, why don't you get your digital chip implant and you'd be so cool and trendy, you know? It, it's quite fascinating to me to to see as they going back to revisiting talks I did years ago about revelation as an example, biblical revelation. How it's always been there, you know, it's very prolific, it is ma- it's so full of imagery, of course, as well, which is picturesque imagery, the scenario, it is, it, it, and it appeals to all kinds of faiths as well. They've used it in, in, in even atheistic sci-fi, these same scenarios, because it's so full of imagery, which again is, is part of occult uh, theosophy and, and theology. Um, occult symbolism is so important and so much because in ancient times they understood in different ways, in different terminology to explain uh, signs and symptoms of ecstasy or religious ecstasy uh, coming from a deity or God or, or demonic activity from, a, from an evil being, an entity. And they could also give forms of ecstasy at times as well. So they described these these different states of being. But there was always this idea, I've mentioned this before, that um, ancient religions, you'll always find the appeasement of a deity, naturally, you know. And we know, yeah, that in the really ancient, the sun god traditions, they would, and the solar traditions, you had solar and lunar mainly, and stellar to an extent with stars. But they had, they'd have to appease the deities at times. And the religious priests of, of that time and priestesses would often demand sacrifice, because, and generally to keep the people in line, because they depend, they, they, everything's a class system. And in ancient times, you had royalties that often used the priestly class together with themselves to keep the people in line and to make sure that tribute came, it was paid all the time. Today we get taxes, we pay taxes, you know. But back then it was mainly tribute in forms of gold tokens or silver tokens and things like that or whatever they actually needed, even foodstuffs naturally. It was a big, big thing, giving food in. but yeah, but folk don't like that at times. You, you get fed up giving, 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 especially to people that are living much better than you are from it all. And so when they slacken off, they, they would they would they'd have to teach the people a lesson. As I say, the sun wouldn't rise. That was a big one due to an eclipse and things like that. Uh, and so they used these. Things. So anyway, and they'd say, well, you know, if you don't, if you don't give us obeyance and, and give us tributes, then this horrible event's going to happen. We're not going to cause the event, mind you, but we can maybe prevent it if you, if you just pay tribute. And so they did. The sun would start to darken, and the folk would start throwing all their goodies at them. Then it would it would pass over, and it would praise the the priest for another little while too. That's that's the kind of the things they would do. But there's always behind all of these again. What is sacrifice? What is that? What is, what is punishment? You see. And, and and the human condition is always an idea, a thought, perhaps, 
that that no matter what kind of culture or group or even village they live in in ancient times to the present times, are you really good? What is good, you see? Today you have rebels against the good uh, who uh, are just that. They are rebels. They're revolutionaries against the good. But it, but generally you have most folk wanting to, to conform to the good of society. This idea of peace. Forget the wars over yonder, but even peace within yourself or your own little area. As much, as you're more relaxed when you're going. If you walk from one place to another, and people are kind of decent, you're not going to get mugged, and you don't going to get bombarded with folk demanding your money or your life. You know that kind of thing. As you do get this idea of safety and security, is definitely conducive to. Um, a, a healthier mentality and a healthier physique too. Because if if you're if you're nervous all the time, you're going to be sick. Of course you are. So there's always the idea of are you good or are you not good, and that's always been there too. But everyone is tempted as well to maybe keep a bit back for yourself if you were if you were collectively paying in for the common good and the socialistic systems that they used to have before money even came along, you know? Were you good or not good? Um, what was the punishment for not being good? What, what, what did they mean by good? Well, if you go into the old, old systems in Europe, the, the bog people that they keep digging up in different parts of Europe, uh, they love to jump in and say, well, oh, they sacrificed people back then, you know, just just for the, you know, just to appease the deities. I don't think they were sacrificed really at all. I think it was punishment, mainly, because you're talking about pre-monetary systems. Folk didn't live in small groups and villages. They all chipped in by putting their work in to get the grain and harvest. Food was a big, big thing. It, and it wasn't guaranteed to. We had good crops, bad crops in those days. You didn't have herbicides, pesticides, and fertilizers like we do today. And when you had a bad, you know, uh, t even today, folk often say, is if you get one good harvest out of every four, you're done okay. Because you can't control it. Well, we can't control the weather. Other, other agencies do that. <laughs> but let's, let's look at that, I mean, how it used to be. And they used to have to store up the, the grain for the winter months. And I'm, I'm sure there was rationing when they'd had bad harvests and, and lower yields and so on. And they always find with these, these bog people that had full bellies. Hmm? And, and I'm sure this is a time when most folk didn't have full bellies. Well, they'd been stealing the stuff, you see. And they were caught and they were punished for it. And made, made examples of it real ritualistically. Because that was what the, that's what law used to be. It was for the, that really was about the common good. And you'd broken a taboo that put everybody else at risk of starvation. A very, very simple, basic, true, true thing, actually, a true idea, as opposed to the fake ones we have today. Some of them are just fake. But back then, you weren't all in it together, because if one person started to take more more food, see, the daily quota for four people, that meant that with three other people um, weren't going to get their food, you see. That's what happened to them. So that's basic law, and that's essential law, you see. And that's how these things used to be done. So I don't think they were getting sacrificed just for the to appease whatever at all. Or punishments. But again, you go back into the idea of, of again, guilt was guilt. 
are you good, are you bad, etc. And most folk will try and belong to the group, and, and, and at least to some extent, they might have individual non-conformity here and there, but on the whole, you, you'd conform to the group for the, what was good for the group. Sure you did. Eccentricities were quite easily managed, and no problem at all. But today we're definitely living in a system of tyranny, what I've talked about, they understand that and much, much more of group behavior and how you're into a system where they're using the gods now are computers, of course, and the ethernet and internet and and all the different programs that manage your daily lives. And folk are hooked and addicted to them. And they can't imagine a world without them, even though that many of us grew up in a system where you didn't have the, all this, this stuff. And inventories were, were done very well and very effectively and efficiently with pen and paper, you know. And it wasn't tough to do that at all, in fact. And it gave a lot of people work, by the way. And work is very important, because without work, there's, no, there's very little self-worth left eventually. Purpose is very, very essential to mental health. Uh, something the elite also know. They can put you into utter depression collectively. And they've done studies on, on this too and how to do it, how to bring it in. And then how to manage you during apathy. Because it's apathetic behavior uh, that, that means you're conquered or you're on the stage of being totally conquered. That's what they want from you. And compliance is easier to get when you're apathetic. And, and it's a stage you get to where you're desperate for help. And then they'll come out with something with conditions. Then they'll jump at it, you see. It's, yeah. The whole system is at war with you in this day and age. You don't have the religions that they had to follow themselves at one time upon the people. You can scoff all you want. And whatever you get about Middle Ages and so on, it comes from entertainment. There's always been a war with religion. It's modern entertainment. And it's been very effective. Just show stuff in all this. Look at that terrible priest in that movie and what they did. But in reality, you know, priests at one time lived amongst the people. Most of them. Often they would go off to battle with the people too. They'd, do, they'd be in big battles with them. In Scotland that happened, you know. They'd go around the, the, with, with the, 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 the soldiers and uh, sometimes participate as well and deal with the aftermath that helped as well. So, but the thing is, there'd always be a middle person to stand up for the people at the bottom when, when nobility that always wants more and more for themselves would try and grab more for themselves and, and dispossess people even further or even take more food than, than was even required by their old, old laws uh, of, of their, their tenant or, or their serfs, actually, their farmers. Uh, so, they, so they couldn't go too far because, literally, uh, the church at one time had the power to, to dispossess some of the nobility at times. And uh, if you can't get cooperation from the people you rule over, uh, as, uh, you're, you're, well, you're not, you can keep the title of a, nobility, a noble, but you, that nothing will happen, and you'll fall into despair and decay and sell your house, you see, without the folks' compliance. 
to help you. So it, it, it certainly helped to an extent. You don't have that anymore. You've got what they always wanted from the Enlightenment on, which is total, uh, a form of, the, um, apart from humanism, secular humanism, which is its own religion, by the way. Because you can have religions as well, where you worship your own intellect, or, the, or their own, <laughs> you better worship their intellects, because they're telling you how it's important there. And now you're in a, you have problems, because, like Nietzsche said, you know, they say when God is dead, nothing will be impossible anymore. Things were unthinkable, are now not just thinkable, but doable. And we've seen lots of that ever since, you know, Nietzsche's time, getting worse and worse and worse. We've seen the killing fields of Cambodia as an example, where they stuck to a, a regimen of, of theory. And don't forget the CIA was involved in teaching them that in the, in the first place in Cambodia, and with Pol Pot regime. The massacre of so many people, slaughter, terrible slaughter of so many people. These are things that are taught now as techniques as opposed to theological reasons. They're all techniques simply of efficiency. Uh, if if, they've, if the psychologists say, well, look, the people are in a bad mood and there's so much resentment that you're taking over, um, you're not going to get compliance by normal persuasion. It might take you a few years before you'll start to get compliance. So if you want it done quickly, kill off. And they'll tell you exactly how much to kill off, what age groups to kill off and genders to kill off, uh, the way to kill them off in front of the other relatives and that, to get maximum horror and for compliance. These are just called efficient techniques now, eh? And there's no middlemen who step in and say, this is, you, can't, you can't do this horror show, you just can't do it. You know, we won't allow it. Well, there's no one not to allow it anymore. <laughs> not only that, the very victims themselves in the supposed advanced culture, you've already had the indoctrination that, that, where you might agree with it yourself if you're standing apart thinking it's for other people that's going to suffer. And you, you can't ever imagine it happening to you. But mentally, you, you, you realize, no, you, you're prepared to agree with it if it ever comes your way, and, you'll, you, and it'll happen to you. There's nothing that happens today where they don't prepare you mentally, for, even if you're not completely consciously aware of it at the time. But you are prepared for it, subconsciously. And that's the technique of perfection, of control and management of the general public. It's very effective, very efficient. And today you have the, the terrific methods, I've said before, with the media. The, the media that before this, this COVID-19 came out, uh, was, was sort of discredited. It had nothing to tell the public. The folk, they, they were scrambling to get money and asking for money and and donations and subscriptions because no one was following them. All you had was sports and celebrities for years. That's what they called news. And they were getting handouts by the, the same characters who rule over you, the big corporate, well, we know many of their names who are running them. They're there for control purposes. They always were, you see. And they come back in their own during this, the wartime scenario of COVID-19. And then they lie their teeth off to you uh, and, and deliberately terrify you. Don't forget the, the Sage Group in Britain, 
that employed the subgroup that was meant to terrorize the public and, and gave the orders to the media to increase anxiety by exaggerating the stories. This is published information from the groups that did the jobs. And you can go back and listen to the same liars again. Or you'll just scour the internet looking for people that'll agree with you here or there as you desperately look for little ways out, yeah, left and right and up and down. Never realizing that now the internet is polluted, polluted with characters that belong to many organizations, CIA, 77 Brigade, and so on. They'll all come out with saying the things which you know already. Uh, even mirroring your fear. They mirror your fear, you see. And they'll say the right things to make sure that you keep... And then they'll bend you off into some other area of, of uh, until you're ridiculed, you're, you're being made. Um, you'll be looking for a little green man or something. Yeah? Or you'll you'll be... But regardless, you'll be neutered. You won't be... If you lose your reason through it all, you'll be neutered and you've been psyoped and you don't even know it. And yes, they do put lots of them out there now. Lots and lots of them, unfortunately. All kinds too. Whatever flavor again that you're into at the time, they've got it ready made for you. And they have the characters out there, well funded. Some are, some are almost professional in their presentations. Just, they just start off that way, just out the blue. And folk don't perceive their little giveaways, you see that should inform you as to something bigger behind them. And I could go on and on about some of them that I've run into myself. They even paid, paid, not to have me on the air huh, in certain places. And these are the leaders that they give you, yeah. But anyway, so out there it's nothing but warfare. Sure it's warfare, absolutely. Complete warfare. And you, you, you've got to start thinking for yourself. You don't need to know an awful lot. Just the basics. The elite wanted a global reset, they called it. They had lots of publications before 9-11 came along saying that they were disappointed. That the World Economic Forum said themselves at their meetings, they were disappointed at how, how the public... And, and society and small business had rebounded after the last crash in, uh, after 2008 because they wanted to bring in a gradually a more controlled system over the planet in a global system with a globalized structure of management using 2008. But, but, but literally, the states and small businesses and elsewhere across the world had, had rebounded and taken over. And that, they really ticked off about that. They said that in their own reports. And they wanted to give you stage two of the crash of 2008. The first, the part, the first part was the initial response to 2008, uh, the inflation, etc., and all that kind of stuff, and higher taxation, up, up when the prices of basic commodities, which stayed that way and got higher and higher to the present day. But they wanted to continue it. And they couldn't do it so, so quickly if the more folk, more folk were just where we're working. They can't get the control over you. Along comes COVID. And bingo, there you are. That would fit the bill again, eh? 
So you don't really need to know everything, naturally. You can't know everything. And look at the incredible data getting spewed out like a machine just turning it out, you know, every day from all different sources by the same media that's lied, lying, lied, doing the same lies again, naturally. And the more testing they do, the more they're going to find fragments of dead viruses and say that, you know, there's more cases. And, of course, the cases are not sick and often they're not infected, in fact, active infections. But reality has got nothing to do with it from the same lying media. They help destroy your economy because that's the big agenda is destroy the economy and bring you into a new, a new, a new world order, naturally. And world is the key to it. They want it to be world management. And how do you get that to happen across it? When you, you create chaos across the planet, food shortages, starvation here and there, publicize that and say, who would have thought we'd ever see starvation in Americas or in Europe? And yada, yada, yada. Until the folk will literally bless them as they pump you full of uh, vaccinations on an ongoing basis. It isn't going to be just one shot for this. It's going to be all vaccinations. If you look up the WHO's agenda, I I did this years ago. I'm looking at them right now, in fact, from years ago. And uh, I've still kept the old old ones there on their schedules for giving you annual boosters for a whole bunch of vaccines you've already had and things you've never heard of yet. So you'd be a pincushion for, you know, for the, the company. You're a part of the product now, you see. And they need you to get profits, so you're going to be a pincushion. Mandated, you've got by a law to take their product. I mean, that, that's quite the feat, isn't it? Can you imagine if every gardening store or the government says you've got to use this, particular, this, this company's shovel or spade or garden fork, or we're going to fine you. You know, you've got to use theirs. But here you go, isn't that amazing? If, if folk can just stand back and see for what it really is, true fascism beyond anything you can imagine. Hey? And and you'll want it. Well, thank, I want that garden fork, and thank goodness I didn't get any other one. Hey? <laughs> oh, dear. But, but that's where it goes. So all you do is don't forget the lying media, uh, and you can never trust it. Especially now, you've been given so much evidence of this, and yet they're going full tilt again on board in unison uh, with the same agenda. Scream, scream, horror, terror, 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 and comply or else. And uh, and you only start believing them now and debate the points they put in their papers about numbers and figures. It's not going to, you know, they mean nothing. And that's how they manage the public. Get you all fighting over even statistics, for goodness sake. Folk are fighting over statistics. Yeah. Yeah. All churned out again. Yeah. And the doctors that are working with these cases uh, are coming out and telling you it's mainly bogus. Mm-mm. Doesn't matter, you know. They, and they get hammered as well. Facts don't matter. This is amazing. This is a super agenda, you know, that's to, that's to be above all kind of reason, above all logic. In fact, it's a huge mandated must-be agenda. Of, they've sworn to it to change the world. That's the purpose of it, right? So start looking out for yourselves, little, little groups to get together. Make sure you're going to manage each other. Again, like back to the guy, the swamp man, you know, dug up and all that thousands of years later. If you ever get down to the crisis crunch, we've got to help each other out. And you've got food 
put by, you better make sure that you all follow the rules. Hmm? Because you will have to throw people out. Just like the, the tribes in America did, they, they'd, they'd ban, uh, they didn't generally kill members unless they'd done something really awful. But uh, their own tribe, if you had thieves amongst them and things, they'd simply disown them and push them out of the tribe. They, they became outsiders and things like that. You've got to consider all these things because you're going to find occasionally, occasionally a person here is going to, someone's going to cave in and put you at risk, you know. And because this is the, this is going to last for years. This is the agenda for years, for the rest of your lives. In fact, this is part of the, the, the big agenda. This this phase of it now. You're not going to go back to anything where you've got decisions to make for yourself. It's, this is the the planned society, folks. You're in the outer fringes of the, the, and they'll implement it and implement it as we go along here. Right down to having folk volunteering for euthanasia. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I gave these talks years ago. So as I say, you know, don't worry about the rest of the public. The rest of the public are generally gone. Uh, they will turn you in, in fact, out of their fear and terror because they want to believe it will go back to normal, you see. What, what normal was, even though it really wasn't that normal in many respects. But you had the impression that it was normal because it was here for a long time. So you have to start thinking for yourselves. And again, start thinking inside your head. This is a dangerous time you're going in now. Uh, some of us will get our heads above the trenches. We'll definitely get chopped, I'm sure. But for the rest of you, you can you can start thinking inside your head. So I've given this talk so many times before. Uh, because it's not safe now. As people start to panic. And as they ramp and hat, they, they work, they're going to ramp up the, the terror worse than you saw uh, last spring. This is how you do it in the five part stages, you know, they're going to go through. And because uh, they want now to go after people who are speaking out against it, like physically, not just cutting them off at the bank accounts and so on. They want to physically go after them. And so uh, they're going to terrify the people even more that it's for a good reason, just like as I mentioned before the KGB and the NKVD and the Cheka that they, they, they created from the Bolsheviks that would grab folk in the middle of the night at their homes. Uh, that's the same kind of thing that will happen again as they go through these. They never, they always use the same techniques. Tyranny always does. You know. If it worked before for some other group, they'll, they'll use it themselves. And so you've got to start thinking for yourself. But again, start thinking inside your head because folk will turn on you as they get neurotic and panicky. That, that always happens. And don't run with the crowd, as I say. The crowd always ends up going over the cliff. That's what C.S. Lewis said. He says, when the whole world is running toward a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. And that's how it appears to the other people. Oh, look at that crazy person going, to, why isn't he going this way? Yeah. They think you've lost your mind. But in reality, they have. They don't know it. And that's how it happens. But, but again, getting back to... Revelation, as I say, revelation is old idea, punishment, eh? guilt, and collective punishment. I mentioned that before when I was on with Neil last week there, that in religions, most religions have an idea, a, a, a concept of collective punishment, where more so in some than others, where if someone in your group or even in your faith, 
or a group of them uh, commit horrendous crimes that affect everybody, then everyone gets blamed for it and you'll take a collective punishment. And that's something that's almost intrinsic in belonging to any group, you know, more so than others, in fact. Some mandate that you must accept the punishment along with the guilty parties, as though you're a collective as opposed to individuals in uh, a group, you know. And that's very important. But, again, um, revelation is important. It's important because so much is a supra-type psychology, I think. So I think so much of us as human beings comes from intrinsic factors as opposed to things that you're just taught. And certain things everyone knows. You just know. It's like, it's like right and wrong. Most people really know what right and wrong is. They may be a psychopath. They don't feel why it should be wrong. They don't feel anything at all towards it, one way or another, often. But uh, when you look at Revelation, you definitely get the idea of imagery. Now, imagery... And, and again, getting back to Revelation, before I get, what I'm trying to say is there's so much crammed into the visual descriptions, but in, in such short sentences. It's not like page after page after page, like like a whole tome explaining it all. It, it's very visual, but it's, it's with your eyes closed. You can close your eyes and you'll see it, you'll picture it all. And what you see is the image of different things. They even mention the image of the beast, you see. But image, it's, everything's translated into the English eventually, for the King James Version, as they say, <laughs> or any other version. But, but the image is so important because demonology, as an example, uses these same techniques to get into your mind it's through the image Image, imagination, image, imagination, that's where it comes from. It's one of the most potent things there is, is imagination. It's, it's what, what also helps you to be creative. You can imagine, a lot of designers have imagined the product, or stages of the product, or whatever they're doing, before they, they create it and invent it, you see. Uh, before they even touch it with paper, or put it on paper, it, it's, and it all works out. And I, I often, if I'm, I was fixing um Engines, I don't like buying vehicles generally, but now I'm, I'll have to, I don't have time to fix them. But, or get a vehicle, but I always had pride in fixing my own. And some of them I rebuilt engines, totally everything, you know, every single thing in it. I even reboard them myself. You know, and, and fit uh, cylinder by cylinder, pistons per cylinder for each cylinder, and until they're better than the, the factory specs. You know. Because most of the factory specs in American-made cars are pretty sloppy when it comes to, you know, bores and so on. Anyway, at times I've had a problem and you actually solve it in your sleep, in a dream. I've, I've, it's come to you. <laughs> You're working on it in your, in your subconscious, in your dream. And, and uh, you say, oh my goodness, that's exactly what was wrong. And you come out and you, you turn th something in one particular way and the engine starts and you say, well, there you go. And it happens, it happens in your sleep, things like that. So again, imagination is so important. The image within, eh? And don't knock it, because as again, most addictions come 
especially in the sexual realm, as an example, through through visualization, it's image, the image. The person will keep having an image of the thing they crave the most in the sexual realm, you know. And it takes them over. Image, image, imagination. Pornography, of course, those who deal with it as a weapon, because there are people who, who can understand this very well and use it as a weapon to destroy societies. Of course it does. You had the incredible push in the old communistic Don't forget that communism wasn't called communism until years afterwards, after the Bolshevik Revolution. It was a revolutionary party, and then the Bolsheviks took over, and then it became communism. But you remember that um, as we're leading up towards it, and it's freedom and so on, and suffragettes, and a lot of them went over to Russia where they went to live. A lot of them actually had more in common uh, with them you know, over there. But they also pushed the free love idea. H.G. Wells was one of them, interestingly enough. And he did the Fabian style, style what we would later call maybe Fabian-type socialism, communism, or free love, you see. But uh, pornography was flourishing at the time. Uh, more so, again, it wasn't just drawings and pictures, which had been done before, but, but they had the cameras, you see, in the late 1800s, they had the cameras, and they make a big go of it then, too. And again, here's the image, and here's the thing that's going to stick in your mind at a certain age, maybe for the rest of your life, by the way, depending. That's how fetishes begin as well, a lot of them. So it's weaponized, eh? It's a weaponized thing that can enter in to you and dominate you. Uh, addicts of all kinds will often see this. I, I, know, I know people who were addicted to gambling when one when armed bandits. And you, you could, they couldn't take their eyes off them if they were sitting in a, in a club or something. They couldn't take their eyes. They'd keep looking at them. And you, you know they weren't even hearing a thing you were saying, you know. And I'm sure afterwards they'd be picturing that in their heads, that, that machine. <laughs> Same with uh, certain drug addicts, certain types of drugs. They'll picture what they, the drug that they want. They'll keep, uh, image, image, image over and over. So again, uh, you, you give your power to the beast. Eh? The beast is, is the thing that literally controls all the different images within you itself. You also find the idea of a mark in the hand. It's so old, isn't it? So old, the mark in the hand. Don't forget, too, that it wasn't unique to the times when they wrote Revelation, to the particular groups that wrote about Revelation, and, or, or John, you know, St. John, uh, writing on Patmos, what he saw. But in ancient Greece, they had ways of branding the slave. And I'm sure elsewhere too. In Africa, the Africans had slaves too in their histories. They would have their own branding techniques for people that they brand. Same thing in England when they had the serfs. They would burn an S into them if they ran off yeah, at times. But in ancient Greece, they also, if they, they, yeah, for the males, young men, for slaves, they conquered in battle and so on. They'd cut off their their, dom their thumbs, their, their dominant thumb especially, they would, where they would carry out, where they would use a sword or, or use a, a spear, you see. And so that was a symbol, it was generally in the hand, that's how you, you could tell, it's okay, that's a, that's a slave. Um, 
and if, if he didn't get that, he could brand them if they ran off. But even in Rome, they would have broken tokens, they call them tokens. And they were made of a, a form of fired clay, like in a hardened clay, with a seal on it. And they'd have a hole, two holes drilled in it, and it was broken. And the owner would keep one half, uh, and the slave would have to wear the other. So he was out in the markets doing his jobs on his master's businesses. Uh, uh, he, anybody stopped him, and he, he, they'd show them, oh, you belong in the house of so-and-so, you're a slave, and continue. If they were caught without that on them, they could be executed, apparently, or the owner fined. <laughs> so anyway, um, this idea of marking is very, very old indeed. But this this one revelation was always the, the mark. You see, a, a mark, an inscription, a, a, a written thing is what it means. It's not just a, a, something that conveys something in a literary sense. Now, these little chips certainly do that because they get a print-up of everything that's in them and what is collecting about you, you know. And now they, they brazenly talk about it. I remember doing the, the ones years ago when they were testing out for a, a club at the time. That was initially how they introduced a little chip under the skin and, and how the cool characters who joined the club could show off by just swipe their hand across um, the machine and the, the cost of the drinks and that were deducted immediately. And they're doing the same thing again, of course, but it's going to go into the stores. There's also one where... You probably saw it last week there. It's, it's almost like a, a, a phone that's inserted in, a, in a, a, some kind of holder in the stores, and it's going to take your palm print without your hat touching it for the COVID. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> and I was, oh, here's a beautiful thing now. So you can just swipe your hand there, or read your, and identify that as you. And you know darn well that, that, that someone is going to take all. Here's, you know, close your ears, folks, if you're saying they're going to cut off the hand here and there. It's already happened, by the way, for other. You've even seen that in movies, you know, where they take certain, <laughs> even the eye in one of the movies to get it into secure. But the thing is, yeah, they, that's, that'll happen. That, that's happened already with thumbprints, right? With the cut off thumbs for different things, getting into security buildings and so on. And there's other ways, too, of duplicating that print once you have it, especially when you're not touching the machine, right? And so they'll say after a while, uh, well, yeah, it's good, but, you know, folk can, folk can get round it and, and steal your identity there. So, so obviously the next step is just to put the darn chip in there, and, and there you go, that's you. Step by step, they'll, they'll, they'll lead you to, oh, for goodness sake, just make me safe. Right? <laughs> and then there you go. And these these chips, by the way, aren't just the little passive ones that that, that you have to be within about you know, six inches to get scanned or something. With the super uh, sensors now, they can actually pick them up quite a distance off. Eh? And this is your brave new world. You're, you're marked. You're owned. You understand that? You're owned. Especially when you can't go out. And again, you can't buy or sell. You could even buy food for yourself without your without your proper... COVID passport, eh? which is eventually your immunity passport, which is a permanent lifelong passport. Eh? <laughs> I mean, who is following? you got to say to yourself, now wait a minute here. Either revelation, I've said this so many times in the past, is a prophecy of something that is to happen, like whether you like it or not, it's going to happen by itself even, you know, which is a form of destiny, eh?
preordained. Or else someone's following a revelation like a blueprint. And maybe it's both. Because the people who who come up with these inventions and, and try to push them, they're, they're well aware of the religious connotations here. They're well aware. And, uh, and I'm sure they're smirking about it and probably think you're all silly idiots for believing in it in the first place. But that's what the, but the fact is they're doing it. Huh? Where you can't buy or sell. Do you realize this has never been done in history before? Where your governments are going to order you to go along with all this stuff. Or get confined to your home at the very least. Huh? But you can't go out and buy or sell ever again in your life unless you comply here. Do you understand? You can't comply with this. You cannot comply with ultimate tyranny like this. Because that's what it's meant to be. The COVID is just an excuse for all. And once you, you do it, you're then owned. You're literally owned. You have masters who own you. It's all, it's all branding in one form or another, isn't it? A chip's just a brand. Tells them who you are, who, who, who owns you. When you lose the last bit of humanity in you, forget all this efficiency. Oh, if you fall in the hospital, we'll know who you are and what you've got. Rubbish. They know you that anyway. I've just mentioned it. But the fact is, you, you cannot go along with this stuff. You can't. There's definitely massive evil behind all The people who designed this, the, the, the thousands, a system where thousands of folk have already died, not from COVID, but because of the response to it, and they can't get into hospitals. And they were told to stay at home if they had heart attacks and die. Can you believe? What are these creatures that look kind of human that have done all this? You better, there's something else involved here. If it's just the, or the state of humans who will do anything to keep their jobs, those in charge, then we're, we're finished anyway, you understand that? Or they're finished, put that way, as human beings. But there's, there's no lack of them going along with this and going to force it upon you to keep their jobs. But this, this is pure evil. The, the, the amount of folk have been written off, literally written off. In advance, before they hit you all this, it was all pre-written, remember, that the, the, the lockstep went, it goes back to the 2010 scenario, then event 201, of, and other ones, by the way, leading up to 201, what they would do step by step by step, and they follow it to the letter, regardless of the facts. Or lack of them. People who, who've already sworn at their allegiance to crush any opposition to this, who have sworn allegiance to, to allow massive deaths already for folk who can't get in for operations and get treatments for many, many other things. Never mind the fact that they've got their bioethics committees out there under the Rockefeller too, they published all about it. Who've written a whole screed of new legal things where they can actually just euthanize people, you know. Just euthanize them. That will save money, won't it? And then you won't have to waste all your precious medications, which you're not giving the folk anyway. 
You understand, there's a lot of horror shows simultaneously going along here with this agenda. And you're looking at hell, whether you like it or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just... But these characters exist. And some of them you even vote for. Whether it does any good one way or another, who cares? You vote for these these critters, you know. I'll give an example of the characters out there. And everyone's been prepped over the years into forms of the occultism and magic. You see, magic, that's what the whole Wiccan thing's about and little witches on TV, whole series of them and, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, etc. Getting folk all into this idea of the occult. Which, again, they tell you is, is, is really a joke. You know, it's just... It's just Entertainment, eh? but well, it's an entertainment where, where <laughs> it ties right in, by the way, with bioethics. Believe it or not, bioethics: who should live and who should die, who's worth saving, who's worth you know, who's not worth saving, and all precious medications. We can't give it to all of them, you know. Really, eh? really, of course they could. This article here is quite quite amazing. You think it was a joke initially, but it's from the Huffington Post, which might be a joke <laughs> these days. But the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg pushed me to join the Satanic Temple. And it says, I'm a 40-something attorney and mother who lives in a quiet neighborhood with a yard and a garage full of scooters and soccer balls. I'm not the type of person who would normally consider becoming a Satanist, but these are not normal times, right? And there's a picture there, of course, of the deity, a Baphomet statue, and two children looking up at it, you see. This is the statue, bronze statue. And it says, uh, it says a Baphomet statue in the conversion room at the Satanic Temple in Salem, Massachusetts, on October 8th, 2019. I showed you. So here she is. She's a 40-something attorney right, and mother. Like so many other women in the U.S., when I learned of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing, my first reaction was not grief but fear. I fear that American citizens are inching closer to living in a theocracy or dictatorship and that the checks meant to prevent this from happening are close to eroding beyond repair. And of course, everybody's, I'm sure, is wondering what, what they're talking about here, because Ginsburg died. Eh? And then you think, well, a lot of them have women's issues and a right to abortion and so on. And that she thinks that, she, that, that a theocracy is going to stop this from, from, from having abortions. Is that what she's thinking here? Ginsburg's involved in something else, a religion itself, that's for abortion. She doesn't even know that. Anyway, since when, when Justice Ginsburg died, I knew immediately that the action was needed on a scale we have not seen before. Huh? Our democracy has become so fragile that the loss of one of the last guardians of common sense and decency in government, less than two months before a pivotal election, has put our civil and reproductive rights in danger like never before. And so I've turned to Satanism. Right? And it, it goes on to, this article goes on to, to talk about satanic uh, temple. It's just, we don't believe in the supernatural or superstition. In the same way that some Unitarians and some Jews do not believe in God, satanic temple members do not worship Satan, and most are atheists. 
They're not affiliated in any way with the Church of Satan. Instead, the satanic temple uses the devil as a symbol of rebellion. Now, that's a, the standard stuff. Is It's the old idea of Lucifer, too, and uh, rebellion, you see. But Satan is a, a rebel. A, a much later idea, the whole idea of Satan, actually, is a rebel. Because Lucifer was really a, a rebel. But I won't go into all that. But anyway, it says, just like other faiths, Satanic Temple has a code that their members believe in deeply and use to guide their lives. The seven fundamental tenets include that one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Well, that part's interesting, in accordance with reason. And that the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions, and that one's body is inviolable and subject to one's own will alone. See? Interesting how it's all politicized. So even Satanism now is completely politicized into modern reproductive rights as well. Eh? It says, reading through the seven tenets, I was struck by how closely aligned with the unwritten code I had used to try to guide my own life for several years. And it goes on and on and on. It's amazing how Ginsburg is, is like a god to the... Actually, and I really mean that too in religion. They're, they're, they actually see them as gods. Folk around Ginsburg saw her as a god, eh? I won't go into it too deeply, but... <laughs> but this is from a, an actual... Um, someone who's an attorney who deals with with uh, marriage counselling, or not so much counselling, like divorces and stuff, and... And that kind of stuff, suppose. And says she's an empath, a very empathic person, and all the rest of it. But it's American Civil Liberties Union, Americans United for Church and State, my research has shown that the Satanic Temple is truly in line with my beliefs about protecting our First Amendment rights and the fighting laws that promote or are based on religious doctrine, and that it's willing to use radical, creative, and yet legally sound strategies to make its case. And it does go on and on and on. But. It's quite amazing to, to, to see everything that's happening today from folk who are actually saying that, that uh, it's just like a, a humanist type thing. You see, it's humanist, humanism with rights. See? And but it's all politicized, we like it or not. Well, why would you have to d- join a, a satanic temple to believe in humanism? With this preached that the whole it's a whole variety of politics involved and layers of politics involved and reproductive rights that they don't join a satanic temple. And then you go into the history of course the satanic temple and you find out the founders of it and so on were actually members of American intelligence psyops agencies and all this kind of stuff. It's quite amazing, isn't it really? But folk fall for all this stuff. They go into it and fall for it. They got the, the baphomet with it as above, so below idea. That's that's what they're on about here. And again, Ruth Bader Ginsburg pushed me to join the Satanic Temple, and that was the whole thing with Ginsburg was abortion, mass abortion, up to I think to to the, to the, to the, the literally ninth month. I guess where they're going with it. I have no idea. The whole lot. I didn't follow that closely, but um, this particular person too also has. Uh, a bio up there uh, with their picture on it and all that. And, but there you go. There's your uh, all the things that Ginsburg is important for doing. I wonder how many other folk had to had to join this satanic temple. Do you realize the connotations if you say that my body is my right, my myself, my my own, like in a religious sense, you call it the satanic or whatever. 
And okay, you'll you say, okay, that's fine. That's this person's body and they can get rid of the child's life. So that's, so you've got the right to get rid of a child's life. But you expand that same thinking into, it's even the medical field, eh? And you're into bioethics. Well, you know, it's cost and all the rest of it. There are things to think about here. And and let's just not keep this person at, at 25 years old alive then, you know, and... You understand? You can you, you, everything. Everything is affecting everything else. It really does. When you break from uh, the, uh, the original idea of of like a Greek building with with pillars holding up the roof, and you start knocking away one here, and the rest of them take the strain, they groan a bit, and the next one goes. Eventually, the roof's going to fall down. And that's what happens under the guise of this kind of, these kind of rights, you know, where everything is affecting everything else. Because when you have people who, who will quite happily, eventually, and, and there's lots of them out there, um, think nothing of what they're doing or the consequences of what they're doing and, and what happens from what they've done. Again, there's no responsibility anymore, you see. That's what the idea is behind it all. The state will take care of problems, have no responsibility for your own actions or the consequences. Because that's where it leads to eventually is now you have a medical profession where a good part of it is to do, <laughs> do uh, starting with abortions, then you end up euthanizing the elderly. And then always further justifying the next step and the next step. Well, it's for economic reasons too, or we don't for medication. If we give everybody medications for COVID, then it's better to give it to the ones we know are going to survive. Well, perhaps they'd all survive without it. I mean, you know, why not give it to the more frail? But there's no point in arguing these kind of things because now you've got death panels, you see. We've had the death panels before COVID. Is this because the gut, they see. Private corporations have been getting in the business of, of hospitals for an awful long time in, in a lot of the countries like Britain and elsewhere and Canada. And they end up make, making the rules for highest profit, you see. That's why you, no matter what the operation is now, they'll, they'll, have, you, they'll have you getting out of the hospital before, you're, before the stitches are even uh, taught in your <laughs> in the actual site operation. So it's... Before the stitches are actually even finished, they're getting you out there, hobbling you out, I get you out of the place and profit, profit, profit for beds, you see. And never mind the massive profit from subsidizing the empty hospitals during the COVID idea, because most of them are actually pretty well empty. We know that too, but you don't, don't forget the real facts as, as the papers go back into your lying overdrive. But yeah, back to the satanic temple, everything affects everything else, of course it does. Until eventually, and it all works on, be- on behalf of the people who own the system. People who, at the bottom, who follow these, they never, never figure it out, you know. They never do. They're in it for personal power, you know, all the time. Yeah. It's just astonishing to see it happening. But yeah, they, they, they worship people, you know. And don't forget that uh, there are religions where people are gods, eh? And gods obviously can do anything they want. And even the ones who say, well, we're really just humanists and 
Well, yeah, even at that, the manifesto, humanist manifesto, is the same thing as, as this woman's claiming as a satanic one, yeah. The church is saying the human intellect has a right to decide, and therefore well, the better people, the people with the most intellect should do the deciding, obviously. And there you go, dang, 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 there you go. So, yeah, that, that thing you're seeing is just a, just a statue, you know. And yeah, we use that term Satan just, just because it's, you know, it, it gets attention. But <laughs> It's astonishing to, to see everything manifest, and, and even they make excuses. Satan, remember, in Hebrew, had the idea of uh, a different character, really. Uh, Satan was uh, created by God, right? As a type of, uh, he'd be like a district attorney in American movies. He would set up sting operations. He'd try to tempt you into committing the problem. Or like, like our own agencies do when they're setting up terrorist things. They, they create the, 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 the sites for the young guys to get into. They give them leaders that they can recognize. And they, oh, they're one of ours. And then they set them up to do a sting and supply them with, with explosives, even dummy ones and so on. And then they go in and arrest them. Well, that's kind of what Satan does, you see. You, know, you want this, don't you? Well, can, well, why don't you go and get it? I'll help you, whoever it happens to be. And and then he would stand in front of God as the accuser, uh, and he'd accuse you in front of God for what you did. If you trespassed, you broke the, you know, that sin. You made that sin happen. And that's how Satan was. Lucifer was different. Lucifer was a rebel, you see, and there's a bit of crossover between the two, Lucifer and Satan, because they say in the beginning, and the idea of the perfect system that was made in Eden, this idea of a perfection, then Satan was there, and Satan tempted Eve. And it's true enough, that's why they'll, they'll say that, that, see, that without Satan and Eve wouldn't have broken the laws, and breaking the laws meant that they, she was given um, consciousness to an extent, good and evil, was knowledge, you see. And uh, she broke the laws, so she was the first rebel after Satan, you see. But, but, but the real one in deeper theology was that Lucifer was the chief, a chief angel, yeah? chief of different things, an overseer, the connotations too of the arts, music, things like that, the, the leader of these particular realms. And uh, this is the one that fell with, there was two million of them supposedly fell. Higher angels that became literally the, the demonic realm. With a myriad of, of lesser ones, beings, of course, alongside that. However, as I say, people often get confused between the two because there's, there's definitely a crossover between the two. But it's, it's quite interesting that much of what they put out today as Satanism is different from, say, middle age type Satanism, which is well described by people who were caught uh, in ceremonies across Europe at different periods. And you can't, re here's the thing too, you couldn't really be a Satanist unless you believed in uh, Christianity. Otherwise it would be meaningless, you see. 
this, this actual concept, that, that particular actual concept is opposed to Zoroastrianism. Anyway, the rebel is what they, what they adhere to. It's the same thing too, if you look at revolutionaries like Antifa, uh, break the laws, break the rules, break the system, break, break, break. They never tell you what they're going to create, you see. The, the idea is to break everything, to destroy, to burn, and the destroyer, that is the function at the moment. Um, everything's wrong, let's destroy it. But they, they don't know how to replace it or fix it. And above it all, you have uh, the higher groups that manage them and fund them. <laughs> of course, they know exactly what they're going to bring in. It's interesting to just stand back and watch it. Just watch it. All being put together and funded and managed and professionally managed, of course. Uh, giving the impression, you'd think, from outside, people would think that the whole of America is burning, which it isn't. A selective camera shots and so on. And, and what they portray is... Uh, it looks much, much bigger than it actually is, but it's definitely all—it's all geared in with the COVID idea. You don't have COVID breaking out in at the same year that they want rid of Trump. It's interesting, even the Trump idea, because to me, it's a family war that's going on between two factions of the same people. That's what it is. The rest of the public is going to affect, but they really don't have a say in it. And, and that's what you—that's what's really going on, as far as I can see. Now I'm going to give a few articles out, which simply just augment what I've been talking about, really, to show you the complicity of and deceit that we have perpetuated upon the public in different countries. In Ireland, you've got where's the outrage over an open and shut case? a surge of lies and an outbreak of further deceit. And that's from our old friend Helena Handbasket. That's where we'll end up eventually. And about Ireland, it says, Just when you thought that lies couldn't get any more blatant, the Irish government has announced that rolling lockdowns are set to be the norms for at least the next nine months. My prediction is that nine months to these liars is a euphemism for forever, and this will not stop. It's the same agenda. See, this is a world agenda. And what they're doing is regional. They're looking down different provinces. It might be, uh, it might be uh, um, shires in Britain, for instance, or counties. And so they don't, you don't get the whole place locked down at the same time. This is how they're doing it now. This is their strategy to try to get us to comply. They've got to keep it going uh, one way or another. Uh, because the folk are so sick of it, if they just give you a few weeks in a different area and a few weeks in another area, back and forth, like rolling blackouts in a sense, then they think they can actually make you just comply. It's imperative you see you wear masks. Because without the mask, things would go back to normal so quickly. You'd actually see people's expressions, you'd smell each other, you would get much closer. That's what happened in the summer, and folk were fine and healthy because of it. And uh, now you get back to the mask. The mask is a symbol of something oh, macabre out there. Oh, it's so scary. And we're all scary wearing the masks. And so it's always in your mind. Because you've got a whole agenda to push through here. Nothing to do with the virus, obviously. But I'll put these links up, remember, too. The problem, too, with Ireland is like Scotland. It, it's so compromised. It always was, you know, Scotland. It was compromised with, with people inside their own countries that would sell them out so quickly, you know, in politics, etc. 
and um, once you're into socialism, and then you're up to you're up to your eyes in the hawk to the World Bank and IMF, uh, which Ireland is as well. And then of course they'll make you obedient to do because this is all obedience to a higher authority, and the higher authority is the World Bank, IMF. Uh, the Bank for International Settlements are all these, this private uh, conglomerate. They're part of the group that runs the world. And that's what they were set up by themselves to do, was to help rule the world, you see, and plunder it at the same time. So the countries are under the thumb through debt, uh, have, have go along with it one way or another. And their politicians, their civil servants, and their police, unfortunately, in Ireland and, and Scotland, you know, it's... The, the, you almost say they're a different species from the public now altogether. They're, they're, they're total sellouts, and they've they've, see, they, they've they've already sold out their own people. So they're sellouts. They're different species. They've nothing in common with you anymore. And uh, it's the same thing when when Scotland had the unification of the crown with England. It, it was it was never really ratified. <laughs> <laughs> and that this, these, these, these higher judges, it's like a high court, you might say, of, of Scotland, met and discussed it. And they, they simply went home afterwards, kind of adjourned, but they didn't come back and sign anything. And, and so for, for, for a couple of centuries, everybody was joined at the hip with England and the crown. And it wasn't until oh, a few years ago, in fact, that was admitted to, because they, they came out with the original things that were... Start the, the actual laws that had been not signed, but promoted and used for the discussions, and hadn't been signed. It's, it's quite amazing to see how they obviously just paid off the judges big, big bribes, and they conned the public into thinking it was all legal. And technically, it couldn't be made legal because of the, the the laws of Scotland at that time. But that's it, what you get. Hey, you, you get folks selling out all the time, and they, they belong to these organisations. They used to be Freemasonry, of course, but now you have you have again the Royal Institute for International Affairs and a whole bunch of uh, related, very well connected, related organisations. They're, they're all really just like sparks off the off the same fire, and uh, they go along with the whole agenda, and they get well rewarded. These characters for doing it, but stop put this one up, and also. Quebec and Canada returning to a stepped-up lockdown in two of its biggest cities, and the Premier of Canada's most populous province said he's looking at all options after Ontario reported a record number of new cases. So again, here we've got the same rubbish across the planet, record number of new cases. And these uh, newspapers are just churning out this rubbish. They They know they're prostitutes. It doesn't bother them, you know, and the psychopaths that they have working for them, or even on television, it'll be the same, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, they know that. They're not ill people. And, again, these swab tests are rubbish. They're, they're a joke, actually. They, they, they admit it, in the one hand, they're a joke. <laughs> but it makes no difference. They keep going on. Because agenda's agenda. See? And the more you test, the more particles of dead viruses you're going to find anyway in society. All kinds of viruses are, are going to come out. There's particles. And they say, oh, it's positive. So you know, it's particles of, of DNA and dead cells. and makes no difference. They're going to flatten the curve again. Oh, my goodness. Oh, flatten the curve. Or the hospitals will... You don't want me to get overwhelmed. Eh? Well, they weren't before. <laughs> 
Another thing too is they know it's getting weaker. Uh, whatever is out there, this COVID idea, it's getting weaker. It's, it's mutated into weaker strains. And folk are getting more resistant to it anyway. And another one too it says, uh, Lily, no, no need for another lockdown in Ontario, Canada. So it was Dr. Ma- Maria Van Kerkhove from the World Health Organization said that COVID-19 could be dealt with without resorting to new lockdowns. Then on Tuesday, Canada's Chief Medical Officer, Theresa Tam, said a new lockdown wasn't needed. Now a group of 38 doctors, mostly from the Toronto area, are calling on Premier Doug Ford to head towards a lockdown again. (laughs) It's a great thing, science, isn't it? Especially when it's all made up by imagination. (laughs) So the WHO said it could be dealt with without a new lockdown and and even Theresa Tam, that's on the board, by the way, at the same time, the WHO as well, uh, says it wouldn't be, it wasn't needed. Then a, a group of 38 doctors, merely, I wonder who paid them off, eh? I'd like to see who the names of them are. Wouldn't you like to find out who they are, where they belong to organisations, eh? So the doctors released a letter calling the parent to shutter a range of locations, including dining restaurants and bars, nightclubs, gyms, theatres and places of worship. Don't you all just shut them all down, eh? So far, Ford is saying no, but he's feeling the pressure. On a daily basis, reporters are asking Ford why he hasn't locked down the province already. <laughs> why are the reporters? What qualifications do the reporters have here, eh? There you go. Put this rubbish up too. And then you've got another one. It's uh, Ontario report 653 COVID-19 cases as new public health measures take effect. Oh, it's from the Toronto Sun. <gasps> My goodness, eh? Mm. So Ontario Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. David Williams, looks on as Ontario Health Minister Christine Elliott speaks during the daily... It's the real talking about God's eh? Why not just say that Ontario's Health Minister, Christine Elliott, spoke rather than say, this guy looks on, right? Is it a worship thing or something? And don't forget, the more they... See, they're putting out hundreds and hundreds of tests every day, more. So you only get more coming out back positive. Just particles, you see. Nothing to do with... And it says, and 41 deaths related to the coronavirus. But Health Minister Christy Elliott says, and on, listen to this one, listen to this, see? 653 cases of COVID-19, but you're going to find them, even if you've common colds or even had a cold, even if you've had a shot in the last few years, you're getting up positive. But regardless, 41 deaths, see? But the Health Minister Christine Elliott says an ongoing data review at Toronto Public Health is at least partly responsible for the spike, right? says some cases and deaths that occurred in the spring or summer are only being reported today. <laughs> let's close down the whole economy because suffering is incredible. But let's just have it such a... It's so chaotic, it makes no sense at all. Eh? The same thing happened on Friday when Ontario reported an all-time high of 732 new cases along with 76 deaths. So it says now, there are now 53,633 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Ontario. But it says the province was able to complete uh, 46,254 tests in the previous 24 hours, but nearly twice that number, 91,322, are still listed as under investigation. <laughs> They're way behind. <laughs> Uh, it's such a farce. It's a farce. Eh? 
Now, the thing is, we've already been through the con game of putting them all down, who die as COVID, even if they're not, if that's not what kills them. So we're back at the same con, and I will not play along with the, the farce of it all. It's so disgusting what they're doing. And Ontario developing last resort guidelines in which patients to prioritize if hospitals are overwhelmed by critical COVID-19 cases. Now, I did this one in March, this article, but it's to do with bioethics, eh? Last resort guidelines. Here's, here's your, well, here's your humanism here. Here's your Satanism here, you see. Let's be practical about things and, yeah, decide who lives and dies, eh? That's from March, remember, and it was printed by the Toronto Star, I think it was Toronto one, suggested the province is taking steps to prepare for worst-case scenarios. This is in March. Already playing out in hard-hit regions such as Italy and New York, where COVID-19 wards are overflowing and doctors are being forced to ration life-saving interventions like ventilators. More folk get killed on the ventilators, as you know. Ay, ay. It's, it's so sad, the lies that have been churned out, though. And, but here they go back to the same ones, eh? And they're even just now using figures from the spring to put down, to pad the numbers again. They were padded back then. <laughs> and Canadian judge rules two doctors. See, here's your humanism, Satanism, right? Canadian judge rules that two doctors can have patient euthanized, even if many doctors disagree with it, right? So if two doctors or nurse practitioners approve a death by lethal injection, that's what you should give prisoners who had done something wrong, eh? They do it to disordinary people now. It doesn't matter that the other doctors or nurse practitioners' assessments disagree that the person qualifies to be killed under the law. Killed under the law. Patience, right? This is where, this is where it always ends up, folks. It's meant to end up this way. You, oh, is it to help folk that are dying of terrible illness? No, it's not. <laughs> They're killing folk. Uh, they started off in Holland, remember, and then eventually they were killing folk that had a bit of depression. Like teenagers. How many teenagers don't get bits of depression occasionally? Huh? Facts don't matter, eh? So it says... Um, when Canada's Parliament passed Bill C-14, legalizing euthanasia, I think that's M-E-I-D, they call it, the, the, the legislation required two doctors or nurse practitioners to agree that a person qualified for death by lethal injection. As long as two euthanasia assessments approve the death, it doesn't matter if several euthanasia assessments determine that a person doesn't qualify under the law. It's all to do with law now, eh? nothing about morals. And Catherine Sorison believes that her husband of 48 years, who was approved for euthanasia, even though he received conflicting assessments, is not dying, has questionable capacity, and is delusional about his medical condition, right? Catherine's lawyer, Hugh Scher, sought an injunction to prevent, to prevent euthanasia death based on assessment by a physician, an affidavit from a physician who has known her husband for years, and Catherine's affidavit. These affidavits state that her husband is not terminally ill, that he has questionable capacity to decide, and he has delusional beliefs concerning his medical condition. You maybe think he's dying. Yeah. Today, the Nova Scotia Court of Appeal decided that there's no role for courts in the review of the, the MAID eligibility assessments. Parliament consider 
considered and rejected a role for judges in the pre-approval or review of eligibility assessments. So Parliament made clear that the role rests with approved healthcare assessors. So there you go, you see. Well, we're not responsible. It's, it's up to the people in the healthcare if you want to kill you or not. <laughs> Don't get sick is the message. If you do get sick, keep it a secret. Because it's not it's not safe anymore, folks. I'll be understand this is brave new world you're in. It's not it really isn't safe anymore. It, it's it's a very evil, cruel system we're in. It's anti human. And it's getting worse all the time. It's designed to go human less get more less human. So that's one article. One of many actually. I've got lots from other from different countries and different but the same kind of thing. And Canada, of course, is on that slippery slope as well. Another one, too, is government accused of delaying assisted dying law. So here they're accused of, of delaying it all, right? And it says the government's been accused of delaying a bill allowing assisted dying in limited circumstances in Ireland. There you go. All these, all these British Commonwealth countries, eh? all just happen to go on the same route, naturally. It would, it would decriminalize medical intervention in the case of the terminally ill who have full ability to give consent. Ministers, such mean politicians, want to give significantly more time for TDs, deliberations, and hear a wide range of views. It's about giving people a choice where it's unbearable pain that they're suffering. And more, for, more and more, for, this is, I gave the talks years ago when I saw them taking away the so-called addictive drugs that they were given. They could keep you alive for a long time. Pain-free, eh? And you start, oh, they get addicted to these. Well, folk could handle it. There's folk on some of these incredibly powerful drugs that, that could handle them and didn't go over board with them and could could manage day to day. I've got lots of articles here from people and some that were sent to me too where the poor souls were suffering because we're taking off all these drugs. Well, they might get addicted to them. This is all intentional, folks. See, they want you to get to, they want the doctors to, oh, you diagnose you with this, oh, you better just die now. They're actually giving you advice now in Canadian hospitals. Run wait. I read the articles not long ago, in fact, where they advise people to be told in the hospitals what they've got and given the choice there and then, if they'd rather just have the euthanasia, to save the state money. That's okay. For, it's amazing how they can find millions for the wars all the time, eh, or... Stuff like that, eh? Or to throw out to other countries for, for charitable reasons, eh? But, but inside the country, the folk that pay it <laughs> end up getting euthanized when they can't pay anymore. Mm, there you go. And so there's an organization, it's called People Before Profit. So one of them who's in it, Gino Kenny, proposed legislation in limited circumstances and said sufferers would not be under any duress. Uh, he brought a dying with dignity bill before the the deal for debate on Thursday. They, they, listen, once you get these on the table, and and I understand all sides of everything, but once they're on the table, they're used for purposes that you'd, you'd never have thought humans would have gone, because that's where it's meant to go, and it's to train the public that when they when their state decides your usefulness is over as a payer, you know, a taxpayer. Because you can't, you can't physically do it. Then it's time for you to just do the right thing, old bean, and die. Hmm? That's true socialism. You know, they manage society. 
It's more efficient that way. And governments always have lots of things to, to spend the money on, the, the, your money, that, that, rather than just spend it on, on you, even though you've paid into all your whole life. Ontario politician blasts government-imposed restrictions. Socialism is neither a cure or remedy for COVID. And that's the member of provincial parliament, Randy Hillier. They cried Premier Doug Ford for his seizure of power. Without debate or vote, we have embraced arbitrary rules. We have thrown away the rule of law. Well, they all know that. They all know that, of course. And an Ontario politician blasted Premier Doug Ford and his medical experts for ignoring what he says is real cost of containing coronavirus restrictions, loss of freedom, government overreach, loss of the rule of law, loss of ability to earn a living, rising suicides and despair, all for the sake of a false sense of security. The facts don't matter, as we all know, eh? That's another one. And it says another one too. Uh, it was back in, uh, well, it's, it's not that old. It says Yelp data. I guess that's surveys. It's from CNBC. Uh, it says 60% of businesses closures due to the coronavirus pandemic. It's not its response to all, are now permanent. So there you go. Gone forever. 60% business closures. So there you go. That's your... That was all planned, of course, because a brave new world is going to come out of this, of total restriction and managed society. 56 million Americans depended on food banks during the pandemic. Once only associated with enemy nations and the Great Depression, breadlines have returned to the U.S. often in the forms of miles-long traffic jams or car parks filled with hungry drivers. And it's from the Pew Research Center. Different, again, statistics, etc., etc. It doesn't make any difference, eh? Because that's the, that's the agenda, is to lay off a good chunk of the population permanently and give you, to start with, a universal basic income. And then here comes the restrictions and here comes all the other rules and regulations. Bill 195, it says... Chapter 17, the Statutes of Ontario 2020, an act to enact the reopening of Ontario, a flexible response to COVID-19 Act 2020. It's a good act, isn't it? The whole, the whole COVID idea is like an act. And uh, again, it sounds rather, well, I'm not going to read through this darn thing. Lawyers, I mean, who needs lawyers? They can't speak plainly to the public, which they're supposed to serve. Government shouldn't be using lawyers to obfuscate everything, obviously. All you can really get out of it is emergency management and civil civil management, basically. And how they can, they can uh, oh, start to open up a little bit, but then happens, you can close it down again for a whole year. And, and if at the end of the year hasn't worked out, they can actually make it another year longer, and et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing there for your benefit, never ever is, never was in the past either. Another one, to the pandemic that never was. The World Health Organization declares COVID-19 a pandemic. Since when I think of this scary word, it conjures up heartbreaking images of vast numbers of people suffering precipitated into abysmal poverty. The WHO used to agree with me. For years, the WHO, on its pandemic preparedness homepage, defined a pandemic, this is what it's taught in medicine too, as several simultaneous epidemics worldwide, right? With enormous numbers of deaths and illnesses. 
In 2009, however, the part about enormous numbers of death and illness was removed. See, they changed the whole meaning of it. Since 2010, the WHO's Emergencies Preparedness Response page now has the following definition. A pandemic is a worldwide spread of a new disease. I mean, it could be the hiccups, you know. I mean, that would last you maybe a, a, a day or two. So there you go. They completely changed the whole meaning of it, of a pandemic. It used to be, it used to be right. Several, several simultaneous epidemics worldwide, with enormous numbers of deaths and illnesses. There you go. And it says in May fourth, two thousand nine, article. David Ozanoff, professor of environmental health at the Boston University School of Public Health, told CNN. The word pandemic refers to how widely dispersed the disease is, not to how severe the disease is. You can have a pandemic without a large number of deaths. This is exactly what we have in the case of the flu. According to the WHO, influenza remains one of the world's greatest public health challenges. Every year across the globe, there are estimated 1 billion cases, of which 3 to 5 million are severe, resulting in 290,000 to 650,000 influenza-related respiratory deaths. In the case of COVID-19, officially worldwide, there are 33,916,696 cases, and it says um, 1 million 13,879 deaths out of a global population of, and it tells you here the whole thing. Since on average, 56 million people worldwide die every year from all causes on an, an average 2,830,688 in the U.S. The number of deaths attributed to COVID-19 and the flu are small. Certainly no reason to lock down the global economy and force people to wear masks. Well, it's got nothing to do with that. Haven't you got the the message? It's got nothing to do with it. All COVID-19 tests are faulty. That's true. May CNN article. Antibody tests used to determine if people have been infected in the past with COVID-19 might be wrong up to half the time. Well, toss a coin in the air. It's the same law of averages. It's a pure guess. If you're wrong half the time, it's a toss. It says they got this from the CDC's own website. I've got the links here to all this, by the way. This is not conspiracy stuff. Which also state that antibody tests are not accurate enough to determine who should go back to work. Yet the EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, is allowing employers to force employees to be tested for COVID-19. What was the point of it? They're not accurate enough. May 22nd, Science Magazine article, Coronavirus Antigen Tests, Quick and Cheap, but Too Often Wrong. Well, let's lock down stacks of people, maybe thousands of folk with wrong tests. It's such a farce. This is farce. It's intentional farce. Nothing to do with it, you see. The PCR test, of course, is the, the type that gets the particles. And it says here in the FDA, yeah, website on PCR test, page 30, it says, detection of viral RNA may not indicate the presence of infectious virus or that 2019 COVID, what does it say, COVID-2, is a causative agent for clinical symptoms. 
so it may not indicate the presence of the infectious virus. The performance of this test has not been established for monitoring treatment of 2019 COVID infections. This test cannot rule out disease caused by other bacterial or viral pathogens. See what I'm saying? It's useless. It's just useless, absolutely useless. It's to do with fragments of nucleic acid. That's, that's really fragments of it. Not the actual things themselves or viruses themselves. It says here, these tests aren't discovering new COVID-19 cases. They are creating them. Because you said in the lab, you see, and they multiply these things up to try to get a, a percentage of them. If, if you can multiply them at a percentage, they'll say you've, you've, they've maybe got it. <laughs> it's a complete first. It's not meant for diagnosis according to the inventor. doesn't matter. Facts don't matter, folks. You're under tyranny. The huge change coming to how you claim government benefits Australians would use new. And here you go again, talking about how once they get you into, oh, here's money you stay at home. Oh, here's some conditions. So they'll use $250 million facial recognition to access the services now. There you go. Talk about fascism, eh? Government and big corporations in total collusion. So new facial recognition technology will be used to access Centrelink payments. It will also be used to enroll to vote, register drones. And by the way, in Australia, you've got to vote by law. Register drones <laughs> and declare bankruptcy. Prime Minister Scott Morrison wants to make it safer and easier to use government services. The $250 million facial recognition upgrade is part of an $800 million package. How can the countries that are all locked down get this? You're going to be up to in your eyes and hawk for generations. That's that. You're slaves. Total slaves. Do you know that the U.S. private Federal Reserve Group has bought over stacks of all their businesses that have gone under. They're ended up owning the country. <laughs> slaves, 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 eh? An interesting article is by someone that's quite a character. And it's Conrad Black. He was, I don't know if he's still made, he was made Lord Conrad Black, I think, for a while. And he, he liked that one. He swaggered a lot. But see, he's an intelligent guy, regardless of all. And he used to own, I think, be the head of Hollinger Corporation, massive media group. But he fell into, into, he did some time for, I don't know, selling off shares or something. I'm not quite sure what it was. But regardless, he's got, he's got a good mind. But he, even though he's still wrong on some things here, in the article, he says, Liberals pledged to further oppress the country. If the government meant what it said in the throne speech, has lost its collective mind. And it's, it's, it's September 23rd, uh, thrown speeches and irritating modern jargon, a concerning document. The speech explicitly stated that today's aberrantly low interest rates create an opportunity for massive deficit spending because there's a global consensus that governments must do more, while also locking in the low cost of borrowing for decades to come. There is no such consensus and the financial markets won't be built like that indefinitely to enable the federal government to finance the fragile of socialist ambitions that are outlined in the speech. 
If this really were the case, the government would be better advised to increase spending only moderately and abolish all forms of taxation than inconvenience the lower half of the income earners, as they know better what to do with money left in their hands than the legions of busy federal government spenders conjured in the Governor-General's speech like a mass of Wagnerian Nibelungen uh, hurling money out of windows. Uh, anyway, he goes on and on, and, and he's talking about this incredible taxation system to, to pay off this. And it's going to be the lower classes that end up getting all hammered again, as always. Eh? But it's also the socialist taking over. Don't forget, socialism is this, the preferred method of the capitalists. I wish folk would catch on to this. Yeah? To manage their, their world more efficiently for themselves. <laughs> because on and on and on uh, and, and spells it out he's, he's a good mind as I say he's up there with, with, and all the right people who know everything and so on that's going on he also goes into the, 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 the folk who survived coronavirus and says he says the vast majority of those who contract the coronavirus have no or minimal symptoms 94.6% of Americans who are over 60 years of age uh, survived the coronavirus. 99.997% of Americans beneath the age of 60 survive it. And there's no reason to think Canada is materially different. Moreover, because Canada has much lower population density and has a tighter shutdown, in some cases better management, Canada has only half the U.S. fatality rate. I think part of it, too, is because the U.S. literally shuts people right down and totally stay at home if they're sick. That's, what part, that's a good part of it, too. But he, he, of course, the, the thing with Corner Black in this article is he advocates that it will come to an end, leave it alone, and, it'll, and then it'll be fine once you get a vaccine. Well, the, these vaccines, uh, they've already had horrific results when you really get into the truth that is hidden behind all the glowing reports of it from folk going, going sick. I think a good percentage, 18% of the folk get instantly sick with the darn thing, fevers and all that. But don't worry, I'll get over it. Sure, sure, sure. Well, that's not good enough for me, folks. No, no way. The World Economic Forum's Sustainable Development Impact Summit featured two sessions updating on progress of vaccine development and distribution. And leaders from pharmaceutical companies and bodies involved in the COVAX facility to ensure equitable distribution discussed issues from vaccine nationalism to public trust. <laughs> and again, how they're, how they're already caught. Well, how it's the, it's the, the salesman verbiage to give you, eh? And how they're going to distribute it equitably. And who gets them first, you know? And to gain it, the trust of the public. It says they were some of the challenges discussed in two sessions at the World Economic Forum's Sustainable Development Impact Summit. And how to counter the myths of anti-vaxxers in time for a COVID vaccine, etc., etc. So the richest folk on the planet and the biggest corporations are financing ways to attack people who say they don't want it. Another one from Helena Handbasket on Stephen Donnelly, Minister for, for Death. People are peddling things which are simply untrue for whatever reasons. Yes, we know you are. It says Stephen Donnelly, the, the bought-off Minister for Anything But Health is at it again with outrageous fear-mongering and smearing of anyone with an informed opinion of which he sadly lacks. To suggest that anti-vaxxers, his term, not mine, are ill-informed and dangerous. Again, it's a smear term, anti-va- you're anti-vaxxer. I mean, a lot of folk are anti-this vaccine because they don't need it. 
I think it was one of the, the big wigs that said that too recently in a, some talk. He was Elon Musk that said it. He said in an interview that he wasn't going to take the vaccine because it didn't it wouldn't affect him. He's not a danger of COVID nineteen with his age and all the rest of it. Never mind the fact. I mean, they can't even show that folk are actually dying off the thing that's causing them death. They might have it along with it, but the, the actual cause of death um, is not being exacerbated by COVID. There's a problem for the big wings. They, they, they try to cover it all up, isn't it? It's amazing, eh? Mm-mm-mm. So this article goes on and on and talks about um, Donnelly. This is a pawn of Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, or murder factory, masquerading as philanthropy, and simply doing their bidding as one of many Gates mouthpieces, and should be ridiculed for his acting ability buffoonery. Instead, he's held up as a paragon of truth and virtue while handing out diktats to the public to stay at home and obey the McMasters of the universe, whilst he and his corrupt cronies carry on supplying cheap alcohol in the members' bar of the Irish Parliament and laugh at the compliance of the majority of Irish sheep staying in their pens while the so-called opposition join them in government to create a one-party totalitarian entity. Yeah, tell you. <laughs> I'll put these articles up though. Yeah, Ireland unfortunately is so PC. You know, so many sellouts, prostitutes are sellouts to the PC jargon and the, the, the purveyors of political correctness that, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, you had to clean out everything, a complete house cleaning to get back to any kind of decency in your country. Same as Scotland and other countries too. There's folk in Scotland at least speaking out about the massive corruption of the prostitutes that are... They're all socialists, you see, bought and paid for by higher authorities, many of them outside the country that don't know. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't surprise me. Florida leads the pack into phase three of lockdown, it says. So Florida's taking the US lead on transitioning into phase three of lockdown, which means they're... And it goes on to say that um, citing a dramatic decrease in hospitalizations, a decrease, right? Low mortality rates and growing strain in the economy. Florida has taken the U.S. lead in transitioning to phase three of lockdown, which means they're open for business. The, tra- the trailblazing governor, Ron DeSantis, went a step further, cancelling all outstanding COVID-based fines. And Tennessee has followed suit, and Mississippi is the first to lift mask mandates. Is this the beginning of a cascade of states looking at science and using rational thinking to make decisions on lockdown measures? Well, we'll see what happens there. Um, because propaganda and really good lie-making machinery can uh, turn it overnight back into, oh, terror, horror, horror, you know. We'll see what happens. This is an interesting article here. Again, it doesn't make any difference, but facts, but uh, the chief science officer for Pfizer, the big, big Pfizer Pharma Company says second wave of coronavirus faked on false positive COVID tests. And he says the pandemic is over. Well, I've got articles from back in March and then to March into April when they said the pandemic. Remember when they were trying to get the one for, for I think, the company in, in uh, Oxford in England, vaccine company. Uh, and and the guy said, the head of it, the CEO said, he says, we're desperate, we're r- racing against time to try and get a vaccine for COVID before it disappears, he said. 
<laughs> That's what he said. So uh, that was back then. But here's a, the Pfizer one saying, um, the pandemic is over. The stunning development, a former chief science officer of the pharmaceutical giant Pfizer said, there's no science to suggest a second wave should happen. The big pharma insider asserts that false positive results from inherently unreliable COVID tests are being used to manufacture a second wave based on new cases. And it was completely bogus. So Dr. Mike Yeadon, the former vice president and chief science officer for them for 16 years, said that half or even almost all of tests for COVID are false positives. He also argues that the threshold for herd immunity may be much lower than previously thought and may have been reached in many countries already. In an interview last week, and by the way, the links are all here, Dr. Yeadon was asked, we're basing a government policy, an economic policy, a civil liberties policy in in terms of limiting people to six people in a meeting, all based on what may well be completely fake data on this coronavirus. And he's answered after that question, he says, with a simple yes. He was asked that question. He says, yep. He says, were it not for the test data that you get from the TV all the time, you you would rightly conclude that the pandemic was over, as nothing much has happened. Of course, people go to the hospital, moving into the autumn flu season, but there's no science to suggest a second wave should happen with COVID. And it says, it's been widely observed that in all heavily infected countries in Europe and several of the US states likewise, that the shape of the daily deaths versus time curves is similar to ours in the UK. Many of these curves are not similar. They're almost super impossible, you know. So the data for UK, Sweden, the US and the world, it can be seen that in all cases, deaths were on the rise in March through mid or late April, then began tapering off in a smooth slope which flattened around the end of June and continues today. The case rates, however, based on testing rise and swing up and downwards wildly. So it's completely unrelated with the, with the testing nonsense. So the survival rate of COVID-19 has been upgraded since May to 99.8% of infections. This comes close to ordinary flu, the survival rate of which is 99.9%. Although COVID can have serious after effects, so can flu or any respiratory illness. The present survival rate is far higher than initial grim guesses in March and April, cited by Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Yeadon pointed out that this novel coronavirus, COVID-19, contagious uh, contagion is novel only in the sense that it's a new type of coronavirus. But he said there are presently four strains which circulate freely throughout the population, most often linked to the common cold. Anyway, it goes on and on and on, but again, facts don't matter, eh? Hmm. It says other scientists uh, argue that much of the population already has, if not antibodies to COVID, some level of T-cell immunity from exposure to other related coronaviruses, which have been circulating long before COVID-19. So they say a major component of our immune systems in the group of white blood cells called T-cells, whose job is to, to memorize a short piece of whatever virus we were infected with, so the right type of cell can multiply rapidly and protect us if we get a related infection. Responses to COVID-19 have been shown in dozens of blood samples taken from donors before the new virus arrived. (laughs) 
and says it's now established that at least 30% of our population already had immunological recognition of this new virus before it even arrived. There you go. But facts don't matter, eh? Because it's a big agenda. And another article, COVID-19 patients are now three times less likely to have highly infectious levels of the virus compared to the early days of the pandemic. There you go. Hey, there you go. Down, yeah. This is an int- interesting thing here. I might just touch on it here. I don't know if I'll put it up or not, but it's it's actually a thesis. It was put out from the Naval Postgraduate School, Monterey, California, and uh, from the U.S. Navy official you know site here. And its implications for user identification devices for the United States Navy. UIDs, and um, it's approved for public release, and it was 2001 it was put out, by the way. But here's what it says, abstract, various technologies, this is um, 72 pages long. Various technologies are emerging to provide enhanced automated personnel identification capabilities. Techniques for human microchip implants using radio frequency identification are possible, but the implications of this technology remain to be considered. This thesis provides a survey of current technologies for enhanced user identification, focusing on human implant approaches, and to summarize the set of security, privacy, social, and ethical issues that may arise from the use of these technologies in the U.S. Navy. Technical background is presented to provide the reader with a basic understanding of radio frequency technology. Analysis of human implant technologies currently used in the private sector is provided to show how they might offer capabilities in the military. Applications of information technology and human microchip implants that may improve user identification in the future are presented and analyzed. Finally, a review of the social and ethical implications of human implant-based identification is provided. It shows the collateral social issues are complex and far-reaching, and need to be carefully considered by the Navy to avoid becoming entangled in tractable technical, moral, and legal issues far into the future. It's amazing how they go around all the ethical problems with a crisis, saying, Oh, COVID, COVID, oh, let's implant everybody in. Then you don't want to touch anything. What about grabbing your food? Oh, we got a robot to do that for you. What if the robot picks up the viruses on on its outer outer membrane? Or oh, 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 worry about that when it comes, you know. But this is a, a quite a good article actually. Sometimes I go, I spend my time going through this kind of stuff, and it's it's uh, this is put out by Leticia D. Haynes, and Lieutenant Commander, United States Navy. Bachelor of Science, University of Central Florida, 1987, I guess you know that. I guess that's how you get up in life, you see, how we get around all these problems in the future. And there you go, it's all here, eh? Again, the big corporations are, they, 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 they use the tax money and, and folk working in the military to do all the jobs for them. We're paying for our chains all the time, you know, and they get it all for nothing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There you go. They go through different kinds they got as well, you know, and the passive ones and other kinds as well, and radio frequency identification applications, electrical body communications. 
smart clothing. They went to that too. Wearable devices. This is back in 2001. Fairly Express, Texas Instruments, RFID, microchip uh, devices and so on. And they even go into how they started it all, you testing it using it on animals. Eh? Got a retina chip, implantable hearing devices, brain implants. Oh, there you go. Nothing's new, eh? Nothing new under the sun here. And that date on it here, I wonder if that is the... Yeah, has to be the one here. Shows you how long they've been at this, eh? That's what always astonishes you. It's when you, you, you see the stuff you're reading almost verbatim occasionally. The way they put it across to the public. It's going to be good to help this and help that and people who can't hear and see and so on. And you see it verbatim done years and years before. Uh, quite some, eh? So I'll put that one up. If I can find the actual original link to it. If not, you can find it yourself, I'm sure. Oh, by the way, getting back to that woman who was a lawyer who, who became a Satanist because Ginsburg died, supposedly. Uh, it says here, this is her, their, their bio here, um, she was a Colorado Springs divorce attorney prior to joining Cordell and Cordell, Colorado Springs, and uh, spent many years in government law representing, and here's what it says in the official bio, the entity. Many years in, in government law representing the entity. Eventually, she began to desire more personal interaction with individual clients and their cases. So there you go. It's uh, it's an interesting world we're in now, eh? Another article here is interesting as well. <laughs> when you wonder about the, 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 the... As I've said before, you see, you've woken up and you find out that the communists took your country over a long time ago. And communism's a front for them too, you know that, you know. But yeah, all the mainstream papers, newspapers, um, TV, and, um, government too, yeah, was taken over over a long period of time, and uh, that's why they're backing burning streets down and all the rest of it, and cops getting shot, and and businesses black and white losing losing their businesses, getting burned in the ground, and applauding all. So you, you can't turn to your governments to help you when they're part of it. Yeah? And the organizations, as, as look at the funding they're getting from the big corporations, even where you're getting your food from, it's all been taken over, you see. It's them, they are, that is your system. Uh, that's that's what's the hardest part for folk to, to actually accept. And then, you know, before you're getting deplatformed and, and you don't have to do much at all to get deplatformed now, except especially speaking the truth, that's all you need to do here and there. And it doesn't have to be vindictive truth or anything. Just speaking the truth is enough to get you deplatformed. From our Twitter, I mean Twitter, right? Everything they've given you to, to, to converse with in this day and age is, again, it's power, right? And censorship. From our Twitter CEO says this, when capitalists are lined up, shot, I'll happily provide commentaries, says Dick Costolo was criticizing a CEO for leaving politics and social activism out of the company's mission. And, well, you know that Twitter is a charitable institution, don't you? I mean, it's not there for money or profit, is it? <laughs> That's what, they, folk can't figure this out. These, these, these folk that they want communism or the capitalists. Former Twitter CEO Dick Costello stated in a, uh, a since-deleted tweet on Wednesday that 
in me first or whatever it is here, capitalists who think you can separate society from business are going to be the first people lined up against the wall and shot in the revolution. Costello added that he's, he'll happily provide video commentary. He's known for supporting social media platforms and censorship efforts. Twitter's policies state you may not threaten violence against an individual or a group of people. We also prohibit the glorification of violence. <laughs> really? <laughs> Depends who's doing it. The social media giant uh, defines violent threats as statements of intent to kill or inflict serious physical harm on a specific person or group of people. The tweet apparently was removed not by Twitter, but by Costello himself. He criticized Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong for his decision to leave politics and social activism out of the company's mission. It's been common for Silicon Valley companies to engage in a wide variety of social activism, even those unrelated to what the company does. And there are certainly employees who really want this in the company they work for. Armstrong wrote, So why have we decided to take a different approach? Well, it's one one of these companies was wanting them to come in just to do work, not to be uh, judges, basically, I guess it was, or a social activist. Social, social activists, they pretty well said, do it in your own spare time. But, uh, so there you go. You, you're, you're amazing. You better understand, when these folks are saying what the words like shot and all that, they mean it, folks. Eh? I keep telling horror is coming down the pike big time. And it's been promoted from the top. Also, you have to look into Transition Integrity Project, the TIP, T-I-P. And it's a, it's a bi- so-called bipartisan group of 100 current and former senior government and campaign leaders, academics, journalists, polling experts and former federal and state government officials formed out of concern about potential disruptions to the 2020 United States presidential election. Concerns about the legitimacy of the 2020 presidential election, it says here. It's all about Trump again, you know, and, and what they're going to do, etc. It's all about removing him, actually, when you look into it. And you see all the ones who are there, the, the crystals, the ones in the neocons are all members of this, this higher party, the neocon groups again. So it's, it's, it doesn't surprise me, but um, I think uh, Whitney Webb did a good... Some good exposés, a TIP tip, they call it, Transition Integrity Project. Or you can just look up on Wiki for the short version, but her version is much more in-depth as to what I've discussed about, uh, well, you're looking at revolution, ongoing revolution is what it is too. Yep. Another article here is The Secular Turn of Bioethics. It's 2008. This one here. And it talks about what now the new bioethics is. And really, when you read this, you're seeing how they're giving themselves permission under the concern for humanity, you understand, to decide ethical values, new ethical, re-evaluate what ethical values are, you see. You need professional people to do that. Ordinary folk just don't have the ability to perceive what ethical values are. You see, you're animals at the bottom. So you need these very special ethicists at the top who've gone through these communist <laughs> universities to learn how to be, you know, equally, um, you know, 
non-judgmental in their bioethics. You, you're, you've passed the, the, your benefit to society. Let's just, you know, bump you off. Right? But just going to how it really originally originally it had Christian values. It said you know, they admit that, and that that's what they teach. That all came from that the value for human life, and then they start warping it off into the the scientific form of it now. <laughs> I tell you, I could go on never, but these articles they get boring too. I don't want to bore you, bore you stiff, obviously, but. There's a lot of articles I hear that really go on and on about so many different things, all related. You understand, this isn't just about COVID. COVID is an excuse for a big agenda that the World Economic Forum has talked about to the Global Reset, which is a whole new way of living completely, from even, will you even get born, the right to be born in the future for those coming along? Do they need you? Do they not need you? Etc. Um, and euthanasia has to be stepped up. To get voluntary euthanasia, they can make life so bad. If just with withdrawing medications, for instance, that's one of them too. They're already doing that. Oh no, you've been pain now. Oh, there's a way out of that, you know. Well, I was fine before on the medication. Facts don't matter. Yeah, this is your planned efficient society, and your betters decide what is efficient, not you. Yeah. See, your life only appears to be important to you, <laughs> to yourself. You need professionals to decide if you're really worth saving or not. I remember doing the talks years ago when they, were, they had the so-called death panels. They nicknamed them death panels. Uh, and they've been doing it in Britain for years with the National Health Service. There's been some excellent documentaries put out there and from some of them with nurses talking about it, where they were getting paid when these private companies came in and started uh, doing their public-private partnership deals and they started giving nursing sisters payments extra if, if they get rid of more patients per week from their wards, uh, from the beds. And they could do it, knowing they go home to die fast. But, and, but some of them broke down in the, in the documentaries. But this is, how could you even start doing that for payment? I don't care who you are. You shouldn't get to that stage before you have a little breakdown realize what you're doing. You should have known from the beginning what you were doing. For these sharks that come in and get millions. To get, some of them are getting millions of dollars. I put it up a few weeks ago, the same article, I think. But I won't do it again, but um, it's a good example of these crooks that are lauded as some kind of geniuses that come in and get millions given themselves you know, for, their, for their advice on how to run the new system as they plunder it personally and leave you broken. Just, just like the same old ideas with the, the corporate raiders. Eh? They would come in and buy the share, in the back door, buy up shares until they end up having a dominant share and then stripping the company to the bone and then reselling it, what was left of it off, which they all fell apart afterwards. Same kind of idea with the hospitals, only it's human life at stake now, you see. Now remember, folks, again, cutting through the matrix.com. Send me a few bucks and donate to me, and you see how to do it there. Payment is fine by cash, by check, um, and PayPal, and MoneyGram works as well. And um, it can be resourceful for other means as well. And don't worry about the post. Regular post is, is the way I always suggest it. Never register anything. They charge you more money 
it, it actually takes longer if it's registered. More prone to open the darn thing up and get it lost. Whereas I've never get, had anything getting lost, I think, by regular mail. Just regular mail. It's fine. Don't, whatever you do, ever send anything by FedEx. They won't deliver to the house. Uh, and UPS. They don't do it. And uh, UPS subcontracts to another courier company that doesn't even tell you if a parcel came in. They've, they've, they've done this often. And then their the, the headquarters now is in, is in, I think, Quebec or Montreal um, for UPS, for the complaints department and from another country. It's hard to even understand them. So, you know, they don't always deliver to you. And if you're in, in a, they call it an unregistered township, uh, uh, which is why you've got lower taxes in them. But uh, yeah, they don't want to go in there at all for some reason. Again, it's a, a punishment thing, I suppose. It's also the fact that they want you to go into the main city, which is about 25 miles away, to pick it up yourself. <laughs> Save some gas, eh? The crooks that they are. But yeah, UPS, I think, subcontracts the poor later courier, it's called. And poor later, oh, it's what a ripoff. So yeah, just regular post is, is what I always suggest to people. So you can buy the books and discs as well at cuttingthroughmates.com. Make a list of the official sites in case the comp goes down. And uh, and you help me help me take along for as we go through this incredible war. This is this is the most amazing time of your life right now. A, a complete transition. This is the this is the century of change. The great transition, century of transition, century of change. They talked about all through the 20th century that in academia and the CFR and the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the Chatham House groups, uh, the century of change, big changes and sustainability and whole new way of living. And here you go, bingo, do a crisis to make it happen because they invented the crisis. So there you go. Now, the Trilateral Commission, which is a big branch, as I've said before, is back on the, on the, the, you know, the charge again, the unelected Trilateral Commission. And it's just a global order that seems so invincible. The end of the Cold War is now in doubt. The challenges uh, to it come from within the various societies that honed and championed this order, as well as from more traditional political opponents of it. This is a 45-year-old organization, the Trilateral Commission, is recreating itself to be a leader and an indispensable resource in this effort. The Commission has unique advantages in galvanizing those and developed democracies to move from lamenting democratic decline to taking action to remedy it. So they're actually complaining about populism. I mean, feel fed up, just like Europe of being in these conglomerates that were set up by the Trilateral Commission, Council on Foreign Relations. That's who drafted up the amalgamations. And that people were fed up with it, having no representative government at all. Or the, the government that you had ends up being like a provincial government and a European Union one at the top running the whole show. A non-democratic system. Because the agenda, remember, is to be post-democratic. To be you know, efficient. Never mind these human human needs and so on, human rights, for God's sake, see? Now it's hard for folk to think there are such evil people in the world, 
because you've been trained to be naive, you see. And uh, it's the same with the big lie idea. They always blame Hitler for quoting the communists, but that's why when, when he talked about the big lie, he said he, he's actually referring to the communists at the time during one of his speeches where the communists, one leader said, said, if you're going to tell a lie, make sure it's a big lie. Because small lies that people can see through, they, they, could, they might do it themselves, a small lie, but a big one is too big for them to ever do, so they never do it. They can't imagine that, 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 that it is a lie there, it must be true, you see. So make sure it's a big one, it's more effective. And that's so true, isn't it? It's also true, you see, that the group that run the world, and I've read the articles before, but from the PNAC group as an example, that brought you, you know, the war on terror after 9-11, although they published it in the 90s, or the countries they wanted to, to attack and get rid of and overthrow the governments and bomb them in the Stone Age. And they're still doing it, of course. They still have uh, Syria and Iran on their map and a few other ones as well. They published them before 9-11 happened. And they got their wish. They said they needed a Pearl Harbor event to make it happen, to galvanize public support behind them. It's the first thing you must do if you get a war started or you want a war to galvanize public support behind you or it'll fall apart. And it's the same thing, too, with, with uh, a pandemic. You just terrify the public by all means possible for a good reason. They actually call it the noble lie. The noble lie. It's for a good cause that they're lying to you and terrorizing you. The noble lie. Don't forget it. And from, you know, don't forget where it came from. Because in effect today, you see. And the casualty list of the noble lie, folk who die and can't get any hospital, having heart attacks, can't get treatment, yada, yada, yada. Um, that's, that's just acceptable. It's a, it's a consequence. You'd accept it. Uh, these are psycho. These are demons from hell, folks. And you might even like these demons if you met them face to face, because psychopaths are awfully charming. You know, they they'll be all attention. I remember some women who who'd been in to see individually and to see Bill Clinton with different things to talk about. And they said, when he, when they were facing him, they literally lost sense of time or where they were. It was like he was total concentration. Like you were the only thing that he saw in his life at that moment. You see, that's how psychopaths operate. But as soon as you're out the, the door, you're out. They're out their mind immediately, and your complaint too, whatever it was, is out the mind as mind as well. But they have the ability to mesmerize people. And they can be very charming at times, you see. And it works, it's very effective for getting votes. But it's very effective too for standing in front of big crowds of people saying, you're going to lock you down for your own good. Um, and I love you, that's why I'm locking you down. I don't want, I don't want you to, to be suffering. You know, The same face would, you would see with giving you um, euthanasia. I don't want you to suffer and they smell at you. It's for your own good. Uh, same characters, you see. Same characters. I remember watching a, a, a movie. It was about the last hangman they called it, uh, but the portrayal of the uh, actually based on reality and the truth and the diaries of the guy and all the rest of it. Of the character, it's well done. The last hangman, and that was his job. And he was very proud of doing a good job. You see, and he'd he'd get the, the all the statistics of his of the people he used to kill and height, weight, and all these kind of things, personality type, where they're liable to crack at the last minute, or, or need a bit of push and help and all that, 
or restraint or would go along willingly and all that kind of stuff was factored in for a real professional job, you see. And he'd weigh the, 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 the weight, the sandbags, as they call it. Otherwise, it was too much or the person was too heavy, they could take their head off. Things, just little, little nuisances like that. And uh, but it's a good. That's that's the characters you should see. He's the same. He would go home at night and he did. He could sleep well at night. You see, and he brought a good paycheck home to his wife, so she stopped nagging almost once he got the job, and uh, she was quite happy with it too. And in fact, she was a bit ticked off when he when he gave it up eventually. And I think they had to give it up at the end. It was towards the end of the hanging uh, t- at times in Britain, but. It's the same characters. You'd probably like the character if, if it wasn't talking in business. You'd probably like the guy. Uh, but it's the same kind of character that would give you euthanasia today, you see. And uh, now could you think badly a person is going to put a white coat on and kill you? And that's obviously it's for medical reasons, you understand. You know, nothing to do with economics and saving money. So those politicians can give themselves fatter paychecks and things like that. And, and CEOs of corporations, hospitals can give themselves big paychecks and and better yachts for the for their holidays and stuff, you know. And shame on you for thinking they're, they're selfish. But that's what psychopaths are. That's what they do. That's how they operate. And that's how they really think of you folks. They really do think that way of you. Sad but true, isn't it? Disgusting system we're in, really. But as it gets more efficient, you know, meaning meaning more. Atheistically efficient Because you must get all old This vestige of, of morality Christian morality that gave you rights And and said that life was precious and You must get rid of that To make it efficient, you see It's interfering with profits And efficiency So let's not debate it But there you go I mean, what a frightening country to be in Where you have... Um, Two doctors or two nursing, um, as they call them now, for these doctor practitioners, like nursing practitioner, doctor types things, they do an extra year or two, whatever it is, um, can sign your death certificate before you're dead, really. That's really it, isn't it? Your execution certificate. Uh, regardless of your mental state. What a horror show this is. Eh? And we call ourselves civilized. But it had to happen. You start killing babies at one end, and you start killing the elderly at the other, and then you start bringing it down in between two other cases. Well, you know, you're going to cost... Look at that poor guy in Canada. I remember doing a talk a few years ago, not well, maybe a couple of years ago, who he was in... He, he, was, he had an illness, but he was completely alert and the whole thing. He liked living, and he kept asking them just to have occasional help coming in at home. And the government wouldn't do it. And they kept advising him this to euthanasia. And eventually they did that. He was in his 20s. In his 20s. It's disgusting what's going on. It really is. And if you understand the power, as they take all the power away from you having rights and freedoms, decide yourself what you want done. And you watch your own medical system. You're paying for all. You paid for all of these. These hospitals didn't appear by themselves in public-private partnerships. Uh, your tax money made them, built them, and equipped them. And here you are paying through your taxes for all, and your health care that's taken off your paychecks. 
in Canada here, Ontario. And then, then, uh, then two, two nobodies can decide. Because they'll get, do you understand they're going, to, they're going to get bonuses for putting you down for euthanasia? To save the, the, the hospital, which saves the province money. Your money. Oh, do you understand where this is all going? What's happening here? Ah, <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. Eh? This is where you, where you weep for a humane system that's gone. Eh? You're watching it wither away. And uh, the last vestiges of decency and, and society just get dist- utterly destroyed by the psychopaths at the top. They stretch all the way down to the psychopaths at the bottom. Now I'll put up some links to videos, I think, tonight as well. So go into cuttingthreemedics.com, remember. You know, and I put these links up there on my site. And sometimes it takes a day for other f- people to pick up my talks and put up on their other sites as well. So go into cuttingthreemedics.com, send me a few bucks, and I can take along, hopefully, as we go in through the winter months. It's going to be a very dark winter for all of us as they push this whole agenda through. You've got to have communications to people. Remember, too, I do read all the emails that come in from people. And I get a great idea of the, the headspace of folk are, what's happening to them, what how they feel about things, and what they're, what they're experiencing as they go through this. It's very important. And as I've said before, you all have to keep in touch with, with a few people at least. Real people, make sure they're real people, not the not the um, the fake ones they have out there with algorithms and bots and so on. And you don't need to, if you see arguments starting, you're dealing with some fake, you know, or either more on for the agents, one of the myriads of agencies with thousands of, as they call it themselves, cyber warriors out there, all getting paid by your tax money to attack you. <laughs> So make sure you've got a few people, not many, and uh, and swear to help each other out. Because you've, you've got to do it. You've got to help each other out. and Because um, things are going to get really, really tough. I mean really tough to bring in this new system. You've got to get brought to your knees until you beg them for a new system. Anything, anything to help you. That's exactly how they play this game. And, it's, and they, they've got all their cards on the table this time. They, they're, they're not going to stop. It doesn't matter, you know, unless God himself came and, and, and stopped them. <laughs> but nothing else is going to stop them. Because um, they're all completely, completely sworn to this agenda of resolution. The old adage too, you know, when they said that if they, if they don't stand together, they'll, they'll swing, you know, separately perhaps. And uh, there's, a, there's a truth there in a sense, because they know they're all, they, they, all of them should be taken up to, for crimes against humanity. Absolutely. And tried publicly and dealt with publicly. How many folk have died needlessly? How many thousands because of this total lockdown? And folk cannot get into hospital for treatments, for, for even simple things and, and more serious things. Completely written off. For this nonsense, eh? Just astonishing. And all the healthy folk locked down for the first time in history. With with the pre-planning that obviously, (laughs) when you stop the economy, chaos ensues. That's intentional. This is all intentional.
people sat down and planned this event 201 lockstep as well in the, in the, in the, in the, the paragraph part with the Rockefeller Group 2010 planned in advance to get their big agenda through crimes against humanity every single one of them and you've got to take note of this absolutely absolutely and that goes afterwards too if, if something some miracle happened and it didn't turn out this way and you, and you start to resume some sort of control over the system you'd have to arrest them all all these characters arrest them all no doubt about it in Australia too you'd also arrest all the cops who have been going out there with their batons like an army of, of sort of drones like something of Star Wars um, not human at all Definitely not taking human consequences or, or their actions into human, or on humans into account at all. They've got to be dealt with all these people, and their and their chiefs, their police chiefs, all the way up. Absolutely, these are crime. This is crime against humanity. I don't care who they are. When they turn on their own people, that's time to do act to act here. You got to do it. Absolutely. The politicians above them that push up, they're all in the paychecks here. They know what's going on. Same thing. Absolutely. Mm -mm -mm. The groups uh, that, like, that the SAGE employed yeah, to terrorize the public and tell the journalists to, 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 hype, to actually hype up all the, the terror and fear to create more anxiety to, to get the vote to comply, the whole lot have to be arrested as well. And the TV stations that did comply and helped terrorize the people, and the different news sites, and so on. absolutely. That's how you deal with these things. You can't let this go. You can't ever forget this. It's got to be done. And the corporations are raking in. How many generations of future citizens going to, to, to who would pretend to try to pay this off? You can't pay this off. Trillions and trillions and trillions borrowed, supposedly. It's all borrowed out of nothing in thin air, we know that. But to the certain few, eh? Who own you all. <laughs> Crimes against humanity. Pre-planned. Every hand that's out there, the corporate hand is out there for millions and billions of dollars. Generations to come. <laughs> anyway, folks, don't give up. And, and as I say, there's always light at the end of the, the darkness, you know. And you've got to always remember that. So keep in touch with me. I enjoy reading and, and seeing how people are, are surviving across the world. It's, I noticed too, someone even sent me in uh, from South Africa. Uh, his car was in to get a minor repair. And attached to the bill, he sent me it. Uh, they, they'd actually had uh, another part of the bill separate. It was for hygienic cleaning for COVID, you see. So I don't know if they go in and spray the whole thing inside or whatever they do, but they, they tacked it onto the bill now. Eh? Just astonishing. There you go. <laughs> anyway, take care of yourselves. Keep in touch with me and go to cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. From myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, where it's getting cold already. The snow isn't far off, by the way. It's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you. 